0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at place The only place to be in your pop culture
1: world.
2: Place to be come over here. This where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target but not fly the coop. Uh, nah, Place to Be is on my side, too, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the crew. Buenos dias, come on. Yes. Come on. It, yes. We call it the uh, the Place to Be. Place to be. Yes. It's the Place to Be, Then I shall be. It is contagious.
0: It is the Place to Be, and we are live each and every Monday to do, to, to, to do worse than Josh
1: Richard.
2: Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo, and this is the Place to Be Podcast.
3: Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only place to be podcast. Coming to you here on this Monday evening,
0: JT joining me as always, my partner, Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? I'm well, JR. How are you? Hello, everyone on the PTV Wrestling Network. Welcome to episode 615 of the longest running Mm -hmm. episodic motherfucking gold standard, which is fitting because we have a gold standard in 2008 WWE the uh, the united states champion but we are the true gold standard uh jr how are you everything good
3: i'm good i'm excited it's of course thanksgiving week which is always a fun one for us i'm looking forward to yes. uh, seeing you this weekend as usual
0: yes very excited different kind of weekend looking forward to it
3: yes got some uh fun stuff planned so uh we'll kick that week off right here with this uh podcast episode so it should be a lot of fun As we continue to move through 2008, and joining us is a returning guest, last with us in the DeLorean of our old timeline, uh, back in (laughs) Madison Square Garden times. But we are uh, bringing him back here as we have fast forwarded back to our original timeline, and that is the Roastmaster himself, Mr. Mike Lawrence. Mike, how are you doing?
4: I'm good, and I uh, am thankful I'm not watching an IRS British Bulldog 20-minute draw. (laughs) <laughs> it's a win yes. it's a win
3: wins all uh, over the place uh, but no thank you for joining us as always of course we know you've been been around for a while with us here um, as a listener uh, as a friend and now of course also as an uh, occasional guest so it's good to have you back I, I
4: turned down the Ric Flair roast but I agreed to come back to you guys <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to do that and my spider sense tingled and I didn't well
3: I think you probably made the right call, and uh, yeah. we, we know you definitely made the right call. Yeah. Uh, I can't do say that.
4: anything meaner to him than what time has done.
3: <laughs> That's correct.
4: <laughs> that is true, yes, sadly. Uh,
3: <laughs> but you did make an amazing call to join us back here tonight, so we're excited to have you. Uh, but what we're going to do first is head back in time yet again. To our vintage uh, wrestling tidbit We're going to go back to October 1994 Scott Criscolo, what's going on in the world of wrestling On this time
0: period, at this date Well, on this date, October 5th, uh, 1994 Guess what? Nothing's going on Both uh, <laughs> There you go Both the WWF and WCW Both are off on this evening Know how shows, of course uh, WWF is continuing their build towards uh, Survivor Series in San Antonio. WCW, uh let's see. Well, they they finished up Fall Brawl and they're going towards uh, uh Halloween Havoc uh in a few weeks. And uh so they're in between as well. Uh on the Brian Lee update. No, we're not doing that. What <laughs> one, 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 what up Brian last Lee last
3: episode? Yes, we're
0: Yeah, yeah one one episode
3: Although I will episode. say I've I've low key become a Brian Lee fan like on Extreme Throwaway Dance, I liked him quite a bit in ECW, and on TNA Never yeah. Dies, like, he's actually pretty good. I think at 03 TNA, as part of the Church. So, um,
0: anyway, yes, yeah, nice. I agree. I agree. But so, uh, nothing uh, on the house show uh, look for this uh, month. So, Jr., why don't we fire up the herb?
3: Let's do it. We have four batches, Mike. You excited for herbs? Oh for yeah! All right, let's dive in September. F- 15th, 1994. This Sunday is fall brawl. The lineup is Terry Funk, Bunkhouse Buck, Arn Anderson, and Colonel Parker versus Dusty Rose, Dustin Rose, and the Nasty Boys in War Games. Sting, Guardian Angel, and Vader in a triangular match. Rick Sebo versus Steve Austin for the U.S. title. Orndorf and Orphan Roma versus Bagwell and Patriot for the tag titles. Cactus Jack versus Kevin Sullivan in a loser leaves WCW match. And Steven Regal versus Johnny B. Bad for the TV title. They ran an interview segment this past weekend where Colonel Parker was announced as a replacement for Ming in War Games, pretty much exposing the finish of the match, I would think. Lots of talk that King Kong Bundy will be quickly pushed to the upper mix of the WWEF. He already debuted at a TV taping managed by Ted DiBiase, of course, doing his five count gimmick from years back when the new generation wasn't so new. He's supposed to be pushed straight into a feud with Bret Hart. Local papers report that WCW has finally squared a deal with Kurt Hennig this past week, although he probably won't make a debut until November. Hennig will turn out to be the masked guy that clubbed Hogan's knee at the Clash. More on ECW. To summarize, the 827 ECW had the sanction of the NWA Board of Directors to create a new NWA World Champion. The winner of the tourney was to drop the title to whomever the board selected when Jim Crockett got his promotion off the ground. Instead, the tourney winner Shane Douglas discarded the NWA title, saying the ECW title is far more important. Much discussion resulted. Was this a planned backstab? Did Gordon feel he was getting screwed and come up with a backstab in retaliation? The whole affair has led to ECW changing the E in its name from Eastern to Extreme, tossing aside the regional implications of Eastern at an early stage of rumored national expansion. Of course, the NWA board declared the tournament void, stripped Douglas of both the NWA title and recognition as ever having held the title. ECW now calls the title hold of the ECW World Heavyweight Champion. Melissa reports that Paul Heyman and Shane Douglas appeared on wrestling radio call in shows after this, and this is funny. Douglas claimed that the idea to throw the NBA belt away and proclaim himself the ECW belt uh, champion as a meaningful one came to him in the ring spontaneously, and it was his idea alone. He categorically denied any premeditation on his part or the promotions part. Heyman said he had no knowledge of what Douglas had either already said or was going to say. He came on John Arezzi's show and said the idea was playing well in advance. and said it was a double cross, but they had their reasons for doing it. He said he would accept whatever heat has come down from the decision. Arezzi also has booked NWA board member Dennis Coraluzo, who was at that show and was the victim of the double cross as a guest. He said both Douglas and Heyman are liars, but with their own contradictions of the same story, came off at least one of them was lying. Gordon's explanation of what happened was that he called Jim Crockett and was asked to do the tournament. He said he understood the idea was to have Douglas win and drop the title to one of Crockett's guys, and the WA champion would be Crockett's company champion, as was the case in the 80s. Gordon said he understood the situation, not that he liked it. He was irked when Crockett said the ECW champion could be the old Mid-Atlantic champion, a stepping stone title for the big belt. He didn't want his champion being regarded as simply a stepping stone. He said they had loser do the interview after Douglas threw down the belt so he could escape with some dignity. But despite what was said by others who possibly didn't know themselves, dangerously planned a scenario before any of the controversy about the term had ever gone public. In a practical sense of the word, it was a double cross. It was premeditated, planned in advance, and I can give you a million reasons why Coraluzzo had it coming. We wanted to put the credibility of the history of the NWA title into ours. I'm not Bill Watts, so I'm not going to say what justifies the tactics. I can tell you Coraluzzo brought it on himself. After a year, he kept fucking with our business. We did what was questionable, but I think it was justified. It was a classic wrestling promoter double-cross move. I taught Coraluzzo a lesson. Crockett's done nothing to help the organization. When you do things like that, you have to take the criticism because it's an unethical move. So a lot, lot on ECW we'll get to it in a second. Uh, Halloween Havoc, October 23rd. Hogan versus Flair for the world title. Mr. T is referee. Hogan will retire if he loses. AAA is broadcasting a show live on pay-per-view on November 6th. Clash of the Champions on November 16th, Survivor Series November 23rd, with the Hart Family Feud expected to generate the main event and Diesel turning babyface to split up with Shawn Michaels, and Starcade on December 27th. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on this batch of notes here?
4: Well, no, this is a big historical thing, and I mean, perfect that we're talking about this on a 2008 WWE pay-per-view when they put ECW in a trash can. Uh, this was... <laughs> This was, I mean, massive. I didn't know this happened so early. Um, I thought this was more like a '96, '97 thing because of the pay-per-view and everything. But mm-hmm. nah, I mean, you know, we all we all knew that Paul was lying. <laughs> that that did not did not seem like a double cross or a single cross or anything. Um, but no, nah, I mean, this led to a really huge uh, moment and. I think ECW is still, you know, obviously beloved today. And I don't know if it gets as remembered without this big of a start. I mean, I don't, is there a better rebranding of a company than this? Probably not.
3: I don't think so. Not as dramatic anyway.
4: No.
0: It's a shame too, because uh, in in some cases, because obviously the NWA title is, was so prestigious and now it's, it's, you know, the the way that it's funny, because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jared, on the last show, that national wrestling is a national entity was 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 struggling badly. So it felt like we were going to get a a uh, a flux of, of promotions again. We thought maybe the NWA would kind of come back to prominence, but uh, they fell behind badly. Um, and this was just an utter embarrassment for them. And ECW suddenly kind of jumped to the forefront. The question was going to be, uh, to what capacity and would they be a promotion that people would jump on in, um, you know, in the mid nineties to counter struggling WWF. And at this moment, struggling WCW, um, time would tell, but it was huge. It was absolutely huge. I was, I was stunned and I'm a big Shane Douglas guy. Uh, and, and I was stunned when that happened. And, and, uh, uh, it's you know, and ni- as we get into 1995, and we'll talk a little more ECW here and there. Um, I was became a huge fan of it because it came on late, 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 late <laughs> around here in '95. Um, but it's it's a crazy moment. It's a crazy moment in the history of the business that I think sometimes gets forgotten. It's just another moment, but it really is huge for mm-hmm. the future of the business. So,
3: well, I think at the time it was like a big story and kind of crazy, but. You didn't really know the implications like you didn't think ECW was going to blow up like it did. Right. So like at the time, it was like, okay, the NWA has been a freaking corpse anyway. So here's more madness going on with it, whatever. Um, I remember reading about it like in PWI and stuff. So it it was it was newsworthy, but you didn't think it was going to lead to anything, really. It just seemed like more shenanigans on the indie scene. It wasn't really until years later. when You look back at hindsight and retrospect that you see. Right. Oh, wow. Like this was a massive,
4: massive event. And I think it gets shadowed by the the Monday Night Wars and Medusa and all of that. Having someone mm-hmm. do that on television when both companies are airing a program at the same time is such like a bigger, you know, moment in terms of eyeballs. But I think that this is definitely, you know, any wrestling historian finds this extremely fascinating. And I didn't realize that was a pun, but it is.
3: All right, Uh, let's head a uh, a week to September 23rd. Fall Brawl took place this past Sunday. Johnny B. Bad won the TV title. Jim Duggan won the U.S. title. Vader earned the number one contender slot. And Cactus Jack worked his final match with WCW. Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan announced their cage match on October 23rd. Giving Duggan the second most important singles title caused me to give the show a slight thumbs down. Duggan did get a lot of cheers when he walked to the ring and it was a good USA champ during his few seconds in the ring. Duggan entered the picture when Ricky Steamboat announced that he had a back injury and could not wrestle on the show. In a good sign of consistent booking, Nick Bockwinkel announced he had no other choice but to give the title to Steve Austin. This jives with the angle at the A24 clash where they said that Hogan would forfeit to Flair if he couldn't wrestle. So for at least one month we have consistency. The booking of this little storyline wasn't too bad as Austin was great. The final outcome is not a good sign for enthusiasts of ability. Austin comes out with, of this looking without losing credibility. He was bowled over at the last second. Uh, who was un, he was unprepared, suffered a quick count, wriggling the whole time, and uh, before anyone knew what was happening, there's already talk that Austin would get a world title push as soon as Hogan versus Flair is played out. The booking the triangular match between sting and guardian angel and vader was also good in my opinion sting and vader are certainly the highlight of the show it's saving grace as far as match ratings go the final sudden death minutes were played up well by both men it was nice and a bit of a surprise to see vader go over ron simmons texas and shanghai pierce were all given notice by wcw that acts as talk of simmons being used as harlem heat's manager talk persists about hulk hogan signing a several year long deal with some sort of wcw Current rumors have the deal being for sporadic appearances over that time, with Hogan being phased out as a key performer. That every announcer has to mention four times per minute, I'm sure. Hogan's series Thunder in Paradise was renewed for 22 new episodes next season, so the company does have to figure out direction based on those severe schedule restrictions for Hogan in a sizable chunk of the year. There's talk, too, that Hogan will see limited pro wrestling exposure as a valuable tool to keep a celebrity status and use that to launch himself to other ventures. Besides Kurt Henning, Bruce Beefcake and the Road Warriors will be coming in by the end of the year. Halloween Havoc on October 23rd. Hogan versus Flair. Orndorf and Roma versus Bagwell and Patriot. Duggan versus Regal for the U.S. title. Johnny B. Bad versus the Honky Tonk Man for the TV title. Vader versus Guardian Angel in a strap match. Dustin Rhodes versus Aaron Anderson. Nasty Boys versus Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. Triple A on November 6th. Clash of Champions on November 16th. Survivor Series 1123. Starcade. Twelve twenty seven. You guys have any thoughts on the nuggets there from Herb?
4: I mean, when you read that, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. When you, when you, when you like just in all of it, you know, and Beefcake will be there by the end of the year. You don't think it'll be in the main event of (laughs) Starcade,
3: right? I know it's crazy, and the headache stuff seems to be a persistent talking point. Like he's mentioned headache every notes now that he's coming in. So I don't know when that falls apart that he doesn't come in. Um, But it, it seems like a a no brainer. Like it was like, Oh, it's definitely Hennig. And even at the time, I remember thinking it was going to be him because they were definitely hinting on it on TV. So that had to be the original plan. I would think was Hennig coming in as the mystery man. And then they, they swerve it to beefcake when that falls apart.
4: (laughs) I got a good replacement brother. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) When did, uh, When did I'm trying? I mean, I know he mentioned it a lot on our last episode, but why is he on this triple A kick? Like, he never talked about it. And all of a sudden, literally every I think it's because maybe WCW is promoting it and it's like it's a local, like they
3: never air pay per view in in the US. So I I think it was a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess so. I just it's hitting me weird. I don't know why, but okay. Yeah. It makes sense.
3: All right. Let's go forward to September 29th. September 24th, 1994 will be remembered as a very good day and a terrible day. Well, it's my birthday. <laughs> it's also the day Jushin Liger badly broke his leg. So, talks about that for a minute. There are reports that UDF will release a book written by The Undertaker called Tombstoned. There's a lot of talk that The Undertaker will be given the world title, with the primary guest being that it'll take place on Monday Raw's Halloween edition. There's a little doubt that current champion Bret Hart will have moved into a feud with King Kong Bundy by November. This is a lined up in the Europe tour. So perhaps Bundy will be put over the big uh, with a brief world of reign before dropping it to Undertaker on Halloween, popular prediction has Yokozuna being the interim champion and losing it to Taker to balance the scales of their old feud. Just prior to Halloween, the house shows are still headlined by Hart versus Nightheart and Taker versus Yokozuna in casket matches. Thank God none of this came to fruition. Uh, <laughs> I know, would have been a mess. But it shows you again just how unlikely the Backlund stuff was. Like, we're almost into October and there's not even a mention that Backlund. Is going to be like in the world title mix at Survivor Series or any of like that. Like it's Bret Neidhart, Taker in the mix, Bundy in the mix. Like there's no mention at all of Backlund in any of this.
0: Uh, no, I I think that was I think it was I, it was probably meant to be pretty much mid card and that's about it. it mm-hmm. Seems like.
4: Did the Taker book ever come out? I don't think so. I think no. he did something years later.
3: Oh, about like taker and Kane or whatever right in their like history
4: the thing right yeah
3: yeah i don't think i don't think he ever did a book otherwise
4: yeah. Can you imagine how long that <laughs> audiobook would be oh god chapter 2 <laughs> <laughs> i rise <laughs>
0: At a house show in
4: Saskatoon. (laughs) Me and the Bone Street crew are hanging out. I said, Midian, you should be naked Midian. Uh, (laughs)
3: <laughs> all right uh marcus bagel the patriot won the tag team titles on the live main event broadcast on sunday this is foreshadowed with saturday night show referred to the duo as tag champions and i hate those kind of careless mistakes the live show also saw the breakup of dave and kevin sullivan can't wait for their matches There's increased talk that cactus jack will be being as a regular at smoky mountain wrestling the observer reports that thurman sparky plug has been changed to uh has changed names to bob spark plug holly probably for legal reasons but i can't imagine what those would be and uh, pretty obvious, right? STP, I think, was the, the legal potential legal reason to spark it there and plug. But either way, Mavis this realize it's a dumb name. WCW scored a plum in the new television season. Toronto station CFTO and Ottawa Station CJOH both picked up worldwide Cindy. The WF is still aired in force in those markets, but WCW had only been available to Canadian cable subscribers who paid extra to get TBS or WSBK. The WWE Cindy has a special Canadian control center, and the show runs several plugs for the all new WCW Canadian hotline. Well, on this topic, the Cindy's, WDF Cindy's, since they were running in farmer markets to begin with, took a big hit this new TV season. There's much talk that WCW will begin a light heavyweight tournament in the near future, begin promoting 2 weight divisions again. In 1992, under Bill Watts, this idea led to one of the best matches ever in North America with Brian Pillman versus Jason Liger. Now under Eric Bischoff and the a relationship of sorts with AAA, they've renegotiated a talent trade deal with New Japan. And smaller North American guys, the possibilities of this tournament could be fantastic. Names Pillman, Alex Wright, Brady Boone, among others. Of course, in the end, it could be something less fantastic will be arranged, but it could still be the highlight of the year. After working a couple of tours in New Japan, Steven Regal has decided he'd rather apply his skills there for a bit and will be leaving WCW pretty much immediately. It's unclear how long he'll be a regular foreigner with the group. Halloween Havoc, pretty much the same card we talked about last week. Muhammad Ali will present the WCW title belt to the winner. In exchange, WCW will be donating proceeds to the Muhammad Ali Foundation. At this point, too, he's only saying Hogan would retire if losing. He does no mention of um, flair at this point. Triple A on 11-6. Here's the card. He runs down. Conan versus Perio Aguayo, two out of three falls. Elio Santo and Octagon versus Eddie Guerrero with Love Machine, Mask versus Hair. That's a pretty famous match. Two out of three falls. Chris Benoit, Tugo Scorpio, and Tito Santana versus La Parca, Blue Panther, and Jerry Estrada. Two out of three. Heavy Metal, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Latin Lover versus Secosis, Fuerza Guerrero, and Madonna's Boyfriend. Two out of three. Mascarita Sagrada and Octagoncito versus Espectrito and Gerito Estrada, two out of three as well. Of course, uh, I think this was Mysterio's big coming out party as well. That's why it's a big deal. It's after this that he ends up signing with ECW shortly after. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty much puts him on the radar uh, in this show. So I know you mentioned, Scott, before, like why it's a big deal. I think that's a big part of why it ended up being a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah.
3: Uh, Clash of Champions, 11-16. Survivor Series, 11-23. Starrcade, Tentative has Hulk Hogan versus Vader for the WCW title. Vader has apparently agreed to put Hogan over and work a lighter than usual, of course. They would eventually get there, but not at Starcade. Um, any thoughts on that batch, Mike?
4: No, nah, it's uh, it's interesting um, that... Uh, yeah, here, I, I've seen that triple-A match, you know, so I, I could see why they were covering it a little bit and just... This is a really fascinating time in wrestling in a snapshot of like what was going on and being phased out and what was to be like all these big stars, you know, having some of their first matches. Pretty amazing. And I think Latin lover is in that movie Roma, like the Oscar nominated film. He plays like a drill instructor. (laughs) They meant
3: uh, Paul Roma. (laughs) (laughs) The biography of a horseman. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: oh jesus christ
1: <laughs>
3: october 6th our final batch here tonight this past wcw Saturday, uh on, this past saturday we ran the rick flair interview where flair did announce he would put his title his career on the line at halloween havoc in his match against hogan the loser of the match will retire from wrestling in any promotion there's lots of confusion about the whole thing right from columnists localists and people i've talked about on the phone to observer editor dave Meltzer. Melissa reports that Flair wasn't told of these plans to add the stipulation until the day after the scenario began on the live 925 main event broadcast. He painted a picture of Flair, who, if all this surmising is true, is the booker of the company and title only, being forced into a situation and going along with it to keep his reputation as a company man. Career versus career stipulation certainly won't hurt buys. Whether you like it or not, from a rating standpoint, this is the best thing going today. Nobody in his right mind expects Hogan to give a pinfall to Flair in a cage. With a very rare exception, there's always a winner. By special referee, could be a wild card with Mr. T. To confuse fans who obviously think T would favor Hogan, this past week's main event aired camcorder footage of T and Flair walking together outside of a club. The report from Meltzer then added a stipulation for Flair was the last-second idea to generate hope to be the highest buy rate in company history makes looking at known future plans or past plans a dubious exercise. Here's a summary of things that comes to mind. When the lineups for WCW pay-per-views through Halloween Havoc were first known, there's talk of a time stipulation on Flair if he lost the match. Print ads were supposedly released with this stipulation. Talk had those original plans scrapped because Hogan refused the job to Flair. When the original plan of having a time stipulation on Flair were dropped in place of one on Hogan, talk had Hogan dropping the bell at The Clash to set up an all-or-nothing rematch. That didn't happen. It was reported that Hogan again refused a job. Melchon reports that adding the Flair stipulation was a last-minute thing thrown at Flair, who just went along with it. The footage of T and Flair was shown on TV to cast doubt, and the printouts of Star Cage just came out with a double main event of Hogan Vader and Flair Sting. There are three ways this cage match would end. Hogan loses, obviously with a screw job by T, a masked man, or Vader. Flair loses, which most likely would be clean. Or nobody loses, obviously there would be some sort of screwy ending. If Hogan loses, they can find a way to work around the stipulation, either masking him or having a petition of some sort. If Flair loses, I can't see the company having him return to the ring by Starcade, so we would have to accept the future plans for throwing out an impulse. He could still manage and do great interviews. He has said that when he retires, it would be a real retirement. <laughs> if nobody loses, the company is taking a chance that so they won't have alienated people by ripping them off. In this case, they'll have to do something pretty creative so it comes off well. WCW's several major Hogan vs. Flair shows slated as house shows after the pay-per-view talk has that Vader would take Flair's spot. To add to the confusion, it's reported that Hogan signed some sort of additional deal to extend their alliance, but that deal may not have a wrestling component. Local communist reports that WCW and Hogan are having trouble reaching that agreement. Hmm. Jesse Returns is officially history with WCW. Timothy Well and Samu are gone from the dirty F. The head shrinkers tag team will now be Fatou and the Barbarian, killing what was once the best team in the promotion. How dare you! No word on what's in store for Stephen Dunn, the other half of what once been t- uh, well done. Maybe they'll create a pro golfer character to go along with their baseball and race car driver and team him with Steven as the done Four. King Kong Bunny returns on this weekend. Cindy's. Terry Funk, his history at WCW, is going back to Japan. This talk that WCW has considered bringing in the Warlord, who's the biggest stiff since John Studd, per Melzer. Uh, no word on if he'd bring his magic wand or not. I received some emails telling me that WF Cindy's have disappeared from different readers' markets. In this case, WCW Worldwide has replaced Superstars. Big storyline built into superstar Cindy as Jerry Lawler doing mean things to Dink. First, he popped Dink's balloons. Then he destroyed his tricycle, smashing against a ring post. Real funny. Now, to balance the scales, he's brought in Little Louie as a midget sidekick and called him Queasy. Perhaps that's how viewers are supposed to feel. (laughs) Halloween Havoc. He runs on the card. It's the same. AAA, same card. UWFI pay-per-view on 11-11. Clash on 11-16. So obviously, it's 11-23 with a tentative lineup of Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund for the title. Undertaker versus Yokozuna, a casket match. Shawn Michaels and Diesel versus Fatou and Barbarian for the tag team titles. Doink, Dink, Wink, and Pink versus Lawler, Queasy Weezy, and the Little Prince. Like how they went off brand for the Little Prince. Star Kid 94, uh, Flair, Sting, Hogan, Vader. Of course, this could change. So that's it for our notes for tonight. Any final thoughts before we move along?
0: I didn't realize there was a ton of contract shit still with Hogan, even hmm. at- In end of 94. I don't really remember that. I figured everything was locked in. I don't know what the deal with that is about. That's weird.
3: Yeah, I don't know when they what the original contract was for what he signed in June. If it was just like a short term, if it was for a
4: year, I don't I don't recall, but Mm. it's so crazy that like Bundy was gone for what like nine, ten years, and then he came back and it was the exact same gimmick in everything. he looked the same, he wrestled the same. It was and, and then yeah, Backlund. It's like such a such a bizarre time when you know everyone talks about the new generation and then these just old guys that were also there, that like Nikolai Volkov was there and, and all this stuff.
3: It is such a weird time period. I mean, I guess the only thing you can say is at least the old guys were kind of being used to put over new guys. I mean, this makes it like Bundy's getting a big push, but I'm I'm thinking within like a month or so of seeing him, they realized that it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> because through Survivor Series, he's still getting pushed pretty good. Like, he survives that match. Um, and it seems like they're prepping him. And obviously, they give him the, the Mania slot. So I guess they did have pretty good plans with him. But um, he never really gets to that world title picture that he, they've been talking about. So, again, just like the Shango thing, Scott, we talked about last episode, like, I don't know if. Backlund catching fire just completely changed all their plans for the fall, um,
0: and Mavis didn't really expect that to happen. You know, I, I, it, it's got to be like I don't think right. they ever thought that like their their long term plan for the back end of '94 into '95 was Bob Backlund. Right. Sitting here worried about you know the the issues in the company and the struggles of a national of the national product on both sides, mm-hmm. and you're like Bob Backlund's the answer, but you're like <laughs> right. The guy's fucking ridiculous. And in yeah. a, and in a great way, like he's totally flipped the script and people are digging it. So fuck it. Roll with it. Why not? It's got nothing to lose at this point. You know, I had no problem with it. Better than the whole taker thing. I, I feel like taker being champion at this point would have been difficult because I feel like there, there weren't, there weren't enough worthy challengers, particularly when they were, as we were still leaning towards diesel turning face,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Uh I don't know if Taker being champion at that moment would have been good for him because creatively, I think they were kind of in a quandary with him as we would see in 95.
4: (laughs) So it it doesn't feel like until like, you know, like um, Mankind and then HBK. And I I guess there's the one Brett match where he feels like he's actually a part of the main roster proper. Like he always feels like his own side quest to the rest of the company.
0: Yeah. That's a good point, Mike. That's true.
3: Yeah, I think, like, being tied to DiBiase doesn't help as well, because they're just giving DiBiase all these go-nothings, do-nothings. I think Bigelow could have been a choice, right? But they have him, obviously, end up earmarking him for LT. So, I guess Bundy was kind of the next biggest guy if you're running with the DiBiase angle. I mean, Taker versus DiBiase lasts, what, from summer summer 94 sensibly through summer 795 like a comma is it right is that then he moves on pretty much so
4: um it's a full year of that feud (laughs) there's a lot there Mm. and i feel bad for anyone doing a podcast that has to continue covering that uh.
1: (laughs) interesting
3: some guys on a mission all right, let's, uh, all right, so that'll do it for our vintage wrestling notes. I will say, maybe when Hogan signed that deal, he was like, you know, yeah, I'll job to your brother, to Flair, again, like, oh yeah, I'll put you over. And of course, then when the time comes, he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to lay down. I just, let's just have some fun. That's all I want to do is have some fun. Let's go out there, beat you again. You know, uh, that said, at that same time, there's someone else saying that Paul. she wants to do is have some fun. That was crap. <laughs> number two song in the nation this week in 1994 Scott Crisco brings us into our vintage pop country corner
2: this is LA all I wanna do is have a little fun before I die There's a man next to me out of nowhere apropos of nothing he says his name is William I'm sure he's Bill or Billy a Mac or buddy and he's
0: plain ugly to me uh indeed all we to wanna to want to do, want to do. Number two on this week, October eighth, nineteen ninety four. Still number one is uh, "I'll Make Love to You" by Boys to Men. Hulk Hogan would make love to himself because there's no <laughs> one better. Uh, so he's number one. All I want to do, Cheryl Crow, number two, "Endless Love" by Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey, the remake mm-hmm. of the uh, Lionel Richie, Diana Ross version at number three. When can I see you? By Babyface at four. Wild Night. Show we talked about, or song we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, at number five, John Mellencamp, "Stroke You Up" by Changing Faces. At six, uh, Lisa Loeb, "Stay" at number seven, "At Your Best" by Alia. At eight, "Never Be" by Immature, "Never Lie." I'm sorry, "Never Lie" by Immature. At nine, and "Another Night" by The Real McCoy. Another night. Do, 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 do. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. At number ten, yeah, yeah that's, that's it. The one. so. So there you go. That's at number ten. So there's your top ten.
3: This week. pretty yeah, still a pretty fun list there. I think a lot of good songs. 94 is uh, a really iconic year for music. It's, uh, oh, there's no it's, doubt. it's pretty loaded.
0: Yeah, you definitely saw a shift. The back end of 94, after after Kurt died, I feel like the Seattle thing kind of got a little wobbly for the rest of the year, and then kind of regained its footing in uh, in 95. I think I feel like so. Uh, so there you go. There's your uh, Billboard top 10 for this week. So let's go from the uh, uh, the radio to the theater and what was going on in theaters. You want to talk about heavyweights. Holy shit. Here we go here. This is the uh, weekend uh, chart for uh, movies. The week ending October 7th, 1994. At number 10, it kind of spiked up a bit. It's up to 356 million dollars for jurassic park the first one crazy yeah at number nine
4: in 94
0: uh, yeah it was still because or... that was 93 right yeah but it uh i think 70 it's still, weeks, was it still out or yeah no 70 weeks in release at this point still making wow. money and that, that's batshit. shit well if you ask jr when we run our uh on our original, uh, on our last timeline, how long was Home Alone in theaters? Felt like- yeah, that was <laughs> not forever, yeah. For like two years, so. <laughs> um, at number nine, nine weeks for uh, kind of an unheralded movie, in my opinion. Speed. Of course, Keanu mm. Reeves, and uh, what's her name? Sandra Bullock, mm-hmm. and awesome heel, uh, uh, Dennis Hopper. Pretty great, great Two for two on um, movies I actually saw in the theater. Let's see if we can keep it up. Let me go. All right, this one I, no, you might have. Uh, number eight, uh, The Client. No. John Grisham. <laughs> Ends there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, number seven, in my opinion, probably one of the 10 best movies of all time and probably top five for the decade of the 90s, The Shawshank Redemption. Tremendous movie, of course. Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. Fantastic movie. Number six, Quiz Show another good movie number five jason's lyric number four still in theaters 15 weeks for forrest gump up to 276 million only you making its debut at number three the river wild at number two and the number one movie of the weekend the specialist which i think that was sly and is that sly and and uh what's his name uh, antonio banderas or is that assassins
4: I think that was Assassin. That's a. That's Assassins. The specialist is Sharon Stone, I think. Sharon Stone
0: and and uh, Sly, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sly was making some
4: pretty pretty good
0: movies in the nineties. Too right. bad. Yeah, too bad. So there's your movie list for uh, the top ten movies for this week, October seventh, nineteen ninety four. So we now go from leaving the theater and taking the field. <laughs>
3: All right. Last episode, I eked by Grooney eight to seven. I'm going to continue to hopefully build on my lead here against you, Mr.
0: Lawrence, (laughs) our NFL pick 'em from 1994. All right. So that was week one. This is week five. So these games were played on October 2nd and 3rd of 1994, week five of the NFL season. So we'll begin. At Old Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, where the Browns host the J-E-T-S Jets, 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 Jr.
3: All right. I don't think the Jets collapse had begun yet, so I'm going to
0: take them in this game. Mike? I'm going to go Jets. The Jets collapse did begin on this week. Oh. I don't know. Well, I don't know if it did, but they didn't win. Yeah. Uh, and I forgot you had Jack Trudeau as your quarterback. That Fucking Belichick. Be. Even then, huh? Yeah, it didn't help matters. Browns win 27-7 to in Cleveland. Let's go to the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, where the Colts host the Seattle Seahawks, Mike.
4: I will go Seahawks.
0: Okay. I'll take Indy. Uh, Marshall Falk rushes for 90 yards. Colts win by two, 17-15. Let's go to Sullivan Stadium in Foxborough. That'll dump as the Patriots take on the Green Bay Packers, junior I'll take the Pats at home under Mr. Bill Parcells. All right, Jr. Uh, Mike. I'll go Packers. Drew Bledsoe threw for 334. Pats win by a point, 17-16. Let's go to the old Big Sombrero in Tampa. The Bucks hosting Detroit, Mike. Detroit. Yeah, I'll take the Lions. Barry rushed for 166, but the Bucks win mm. at home,
1: 24-14.
0: Let's go to RFK. One of the best rivalries in football, the Cowboys and Washington redacted. uh, uh, JR. I'll take Dallas.
4: I will take uh, the Washington. Uh, Nickname or no nickname, they
0: lost. (laughs) Uh, Troy rushed for a buck 81 or ran or a threw for a buck 81. Cowboys win 34 to 7. Uh let's go to Soldier Field in Chicago, where the Bears host Buffalo. Mike. I'll
4: say Buffalo.
0: Jared. Yeah, me too. Uh no. Bears win at home. 20 to 13. Wow, the Bills struggled. Uh, I was gonna say,
3: yeah. I guess not picking them, I guess. That's too nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the run was getting it was starting to finish at this point anyway. Uh let's go out to uh Phoenix to old Tempe Stadium, Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe. The Cardinals host the Minnesota Vikings, JR. Uh, uh I'll take Arizona. Okay. Mike, I'll go Vikings. Uh Warren Moon. That's he was in Minnesota and okay. he threw for 355. Jeez. But the Cardinals win 17-7. How do you throw for 355 yards and only score 7 <laughs> points? That's Jesus. Weird. NFL was um, weird in the 90s. It, it really was weird. Uh, let's go to the Superdome in New Orleans, where the Saints host the New York Giants. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Five, six, seven. Mike.
4: I'm going to go Giants.
0: Jer? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Jim Everett throws for 249. Saints win at home Mm. 27
4: 22. I don't think I've gotten one right yet. I'm very. That's correct. You have not. (laughs) You have not got (laughs) one right. I'm worse at picking football than I am at playing it. (laughs) Let's go to Anaheim
0: Stadium where the Rams host the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, JR.
3: Uh, God, all these shitty teams. Um, I'll take the
0: Falcons. Mike? I'll take the Falcons. Talking about shitty of the 90s. Falcons eight. Rams five. <laughs> yeah. How Awful. The fuck, what, what it, When was the last time in NFL history two teams had safeties? Because I, I don't think the two point conversion. I don't think the
4: two-point conversion was in, was there yet. No, right? no,
0: it wasn't there yet. Yeah. So each team had a safety in this game. Oof. Eight
4: Talk to about, five. Like that would be a really fun soccer match, though.
3: <laughs> yes, it would. Or hockey. Or um, hockey. Yeah. So that's three field goals and two
0: safeties in that game, which is ridiculous. That's just, that's absolutely, I got to click on the box score because I got to look at that for a minute because I got to see how that happens. So, uh, all right. So scoring. Uh, Yep. Safety. Oh, wait a minute. No, the uh, two-point conversion was uh, in existence. Oh, that must have been the first year then, maybe. Because uh, Sean Gilbert tackled Jeff George in the end zone. That made it two-nothing Rams. Then Tony Zendejas kicked a 28 yard field goal to make it five, nothing. And then in the fourth quarter, Ricky Sanders catches a 13 yard touchdown pass from Bobby a And Terrence Mathis caught the two point conversion and the Falcons won eight to five. So
3: yeah, 1994 uh,
0: Browns punter, Tom Tupa scored the first two point conversion in NFL history. Oh, there you go. So yeah, so this was the two point conversion. So Falcons win eight five. All right, let's go out to candlestick in uh, San Francisco. The 49ers hosting the Philadelphia Eagles uh chair oh, wait a minute. no i'm sorry Yeah, uh, mike i'll go 49ers okay i remember this game very well uh steve young got benched and started screaming in george seaford's face i very much remember this game eagles win 40 to 8 oof i remember i remember watching that game and i remember uh uh steve young like threw his helmet and screamed at george seaford i wonder how their season would go after that hmm, hmm. Uh let's go out to Riverfront in Cincinnati. The Bengals host the Miami Dolphins. Uh JR. Uh I will take Miami. Okay. Mike? Uh yeah, Dolphins. Uh Dan Marino did not throw for four seventy three like he did two weeks ago on our show, but he did throw for two oh four and the dolphins win twenty three to seven. And finally, Monday night at Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, the Steelers hosting the Houston Oilers. Uh, Mike. Uh Steelers.
3: I don't think either team's that great at this point. Um, I guess they'll go
0: Pittsburgh since they're at home. Barry Foster rushed for a buck fifteen. I think I had him on my fantasy team, and the Steelers with a thirty to fourteen win uh, under the lights. So. All right, and I go. have a seven to three win over Mike Lawrence. I really padded
3: my stats yes. here against you.
0: Not bad, um, Mike. Got three in the back end there.
3: You did pretty good in the
0: four o'clock games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you turned the tide. He turned the tide. I I'm hour. from
4: I'm from South Florida, and I remember listening to morning radio one time, and Dan Marino was on, and this guy was like, "Hey Dan, um, any tips for my kid who wants to be a quarterback?" And he just goes, "Your kid will never be as good as me." <laughs> It's quite the right answer <laughs> He um, is great
0: answer All right uh, Anything else Scott uh, Yes uh, okay. Another uh, historic episode As we continue Season uh, 5 of Beverly Hills 90210 this episode is called Rave On oh, boy. Uh, It aired on this date October 5th 1994 Where there's smoke there's fire mm-hmm. In Kelly's opinion at least where Valerie is concerned. Kelly begins to distrust Valerie when she smells Valerie smoking weed in Val- in her bedroom, but Kelly cannot convince anyone that the manipulative Valerie is bad news. Both Steve and Brandon refuse to believe Kelly, while Donna doesn't seem to really care either way. That's such a Donna thing. Meanwhile, Steve organizes a two-night rave party at the pit. Valerie also begins to suspect the truth about Dylan's financial situation when she sees him pocketing money from the till at the peach pit. Oh, boy. Meanwhile, Andrea heads out for a night on the town and spies Jesse flirting on the job. He later takes time off from work to set up a romantic dinner for them at home while their baby sleeps. While working on a video project with David and Claire, uh, Donna meets a musician and and carpenter named Raymond Pruitt. Raymond Pruitt. (laughs) Oh, what a tangled web we weave. (laughs) What a roller coaster begins. Mr. Jamie Walters. How do you talk to an angel? Indeed. (laughs) Uh, That evening, I I love that fucking song, too. Uh, That evening, when Kelly begins following slash stalking Valerie, hoping to catch her at something to prove herself right, she finds Val at the Peach Pit drinking, smoking cigarettes, and flirting with Dylan in a back storage room. Kelly quickly tells Steve about it, but when they both confront Valerie, she spins it around by saying that Kelly misinterpreted what she saw, claiming that Dylan was making a pass at her. Steve believes Valerie but Kelly rightfully does it. Later that night at at the beachfront apartment, Kelly angrily tells Brandon all about what happened, explaining how Valerie so expertly lied to and fooled Steve and that she is fooling everyone else to the person she really is. Kelly also finally admits that she doesn't like or trust Valerie and never has, but Brandon continues to remain skeptical and casually, in his Brandon way, advises Kelly to give Valerie the benefit of the doubt. At the end, the suspicious Valerie gets Dylan drunk at his home, where he finally confesses to her, that he is broke. So another memorable episode, JR, because not the see... biggest one, though,
3: when you said no. rave on, I thought it was like the actual rave. But then I remember that's Thanksgiving because that's when Brandon goes to visit Emily Valentine in San Francisco. So,
0: yes. Oh, you're talking about the
3: where she's locked in the bathroom, with the actual rave, because they have the raves of the peach pit. But then they want like a different space. So they rent that house. And that's what this all. So this is building to that but.
0: Yes, because we haven't I don't think we've uh, I don't think we've seen Mr. Van Dean yet. Right. I don't think he's hopped on us yes, because that has to do with him. Right. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So Ray Pruitt. We begin that roller coaster ride. Uh, I didn't realize Claire was in the picture yet. When did that happen? Season four.
3: Yeah. Oh, so. Because she's Claire in D.C. when they go. Um, yeah. Because season four, she started like stiff like trying to flirt with Brandon, even though she was younger or whatever. Remember? Right. She was a senior. Uh, um,
0: right. She was a senior in high school. Yeah, she's the and then they daughter,
1: yeah.
3: And she's on the trip in DC like trying to hook up with Brandon when he hooks up with Kelly, so.
1: All I think right, season
0: 5 is when she becomes like a regular moving in with Yeah. I love Claire. She's yeah. awesome. She's yeah. one of my favorites. Uh Mike, are you a, are you a viewer? I'm trying to, I don't remember if we talked. About I am
4: I am not. Um I'm a big Simpson guy and uh I was looking this is the week of my favorite episode ever, Itchy and Scratchy Land. Uh ah. October oh, okay. 2nd. And uh, I remember there's a joke in there where they're like, this bartender looks like John Travolta. And he goes, yeah, it looks like. And then <laughs> two weeks later, Pulp Fiction came out.
0: Yes. Oh, God. Can't wait to get to that. In our Turned his career story. around, really, right? Yeah. Yeah, really. Did. But like oh, yeah. right Great
4: after time. that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Spurred uh, up to yes. success. Yep. Indeed. Uh, all right. Well,
3: speaking of the heights, um, why don't we go ahead and just talk about <laughs> the heights that our podcasts are at because we're delivering great content across all of our network feeds. PlayStation Wrestling feed, which is our OG right here, you listen to it. It's uh, the one that started it all. We also have the PlayStation Pop Experience and then the North South Connection Podcast Network. All of them feature tremendous podcast content, uh, wrestling pop culture and beyond you get something between the three of them every single day usually more than one a day if you're looking at all three feeds and we're super proud of all the content so be sure to check it out download yes. leave us some feedback of course as always and as you mentioned now to and out, scott of course check out the bh 90210so.podbean.com that's our 90210 podcast that tim capel and i do we are into season mm-hmm. two chugging along there so uh we have a lot of fun on that show as well going yes with the history of beverly hills now two and out -hmm. All right, let's fast forward ahead to 2008 tonight, guys, because it is time to talk some. No mercy. 5th, 2008, from the Rose Garden in Portland, Oregon. Attendance, 9,527. 261,000 buys. The 11th edition of No Mercy, already. The 11th edition of No Wait, would right. also be the last one until 2016. It's Oregon's second pay-per-view. The last and the first was Unforgiven 2004. Remember, that was a big one. This was the first one that broke through the State Commission. Um, and uh, first mm-hmm. pay-per-view 9908. Jane McMahon announced on a press conference that Raw would air a replay on televisia in Mexico every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. The time slot was regularly used by CMLL, airing matches in Marina, Mexico, prior to that. Beating on September 24th, WWE did a week-long tour of Europe. On September 22nd, Raw was its 800th episode in history. The September 30th ECW was the first one to move to a new time slot of 9 p.m., And on October 2nd, 08, WrestleMania 24 aired as a one-hour special on My Network TV, included Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels, the Triple Threat 30 title match, Floyd Mayweather versus Big Show, and Edge versus Undertaker. And then on October 3rd, the next day, was the first episode of SmackDown to air on My Network TV. It had been on CW for two years uh, after all the other changeover from UPN, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Here we are now on My Network TV. I think my network TV is the strangest little run of it um, because it would mm-hmm. get syndicated a bit, actually, during that stretch. I remember for us here, it aired like Fridays at like 11 p.m. or something or Saturdays. It was a weird time. Um, yeah. But it actually worked well for me because I remember we'd go out a lot. And obviously, mm-hmm. children and all that, we'd go out on the weekends and come back. It was like the perfect like passing out on the couch at the end of the night show watching smackdown at like 11 p.m so like i didn't mind it um but they're on my tv for a little bit and then is sci-fi next for them
0: uh smackdown uh ew. that's a good question um or is there something in between let me see
3: uh let me see i got it right here all right so it's upn on thursdays august or uh, yeah september so August 99 until September 1st, 05. They're on Thursdays at 8 on UPN. Correct. Then they move to Fridays at 8 on UPN for a year. Then it goes to the CW from September 06 to September 08. That's when CW merges, right? Or whatever the name <laughs> is. <my laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, it yeah, merges. Yep. It's the WB and UPN. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
3: Did that become my network? or that became CW. That became CW. It became CW, yeah. UPN yep. and WB, yeah. Okay. And then so my
4: network was something local different. Channels would become my network, and it was all—I think it was yeah. all just like reruns and syndicated stuff. I don't think they had like original programming. My, my network? network, no, no, they didn't.
3: So they're on Fridays on my network until
0: uh, ch- ch- September first, twenty ten. Yeah, October first would be the first one on Sci-Fi.
3: Yeah, and that goes five years, almost five, four and a half years on Sci-Fi. On Fridays, then it moves to Thursdays on sci-fi for a year in 2015. They moved to USA on January 7th, 16, and they're there till 2019 when they go to Fox. So they've had quite the run from network to cable back to network. <laughs> so they, I uh, forgot they went
0: live those three years live on Smackdown Tuesday nights. I totally forgot
3: yes. they did
4: that for those yep. few years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah, I
3: didn't like the Tuesday night Smackdown. I thought it was like too much. I didn't back either. To back.
0: I like the gap. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, CW was in that good stretch in the mid 2000s because mm-hmm. they had, I mean, they had Smallville, which was like in its prime at that point in 06, 07 and then you add uh, uh, Supernatural mm-hmm. and I think Riverdale. I think so. They had, they had a good They str- they were they were putting on some good stuff. Well, Nineteen O was around there too, right? The reboot was that a little bit later. Uh, oh, you know what? Good call. I think 08. I think that started. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that reboot. Riverdale, uh,
4: I think, is like... That's later, it isn't come, it? Riverdale's was it later? Like 2017, 2018. Oh, why do I feel like it was so much earlier? Uh, Yes. Because the, that's the, when all those actors actually were teenagers.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. true. Uh, Yes, actually, season one uh, of the 90210 reboot started on September 2nd, 2008. Okay. Wow. Mm. We could do those too. No, just just kidding. No. <laughs> <Almost> <laughs> I
4: love that one. It month. was...
0: Sorry. it wasn't a uh yeah, i mean it wasn't it wasn't a bad show i thought the first like three seasons were pretty good season four.
3: well once yeah. they they kind of got away from the original point was to kind of continue the story a little bit and they had like kelly and brenda was on and jackie like they had more of the originals that they phased them out pretty quickly um yeah and, and really just kind of focused on they also had laurie laughlin um had, yep. uh, the guy from Silk Stockings was the dad, <laughs> so it was, it was quite the cast. Oh right. yeah, um, what the fuck's his name? Rob Estes. Yeah. Yes. And then Annie, the lead, didn't she went nuts or something? Didn't she? Something happened with her. I feel like she went crazy or something in real life. Uh, Shanae
0: Grimes.
4: Uh, Did she have something uh going, no. Something happened with her, I thought. She's, Are you thinking uh, of Allison Mack from Smallville? You're thinking of yeah. You're thinking of oh, Allison maybe. Mack. No, She's
0: I thought Sinead like Grimes. In
4: the, she
0: got involved in the Nexus. Ne-
1: the Nexus. The Nexus. The Nexus. <laughs> Her and Michael Tarver were a thing, (laughs) yes.
4: Yeah, she brought her and Mason Ryan teaming up. (laughs) (laughs) That would kill anybody's career. Um, I would, I would watch an HBO
0: documentary about the Nexus. <laughs> the Nexus and Nexum. Yes, if the Nexus were sex slaves, they'd have been a great show. But no, uh, not. No, I guess Sinead
3: mean, I mean, Grimes is mean, alright. I don't know why I thought something was up with her. No,
4: nah, it was uh, no. Grimes is, is is fine. No, it was act j- Just Wade Barrett going up to a bunch of sex <laughs> slaves. I've got some bad news. <laughs> I'm afraid of, you're all going to jail. Sorry,
1: you're
0: Daniel Brian choked, like yes. <laughs> choked you with a tie. Choked you with a tie.
3: Uh, Anyway, Uh, Dark match of the night The clones took on John Morrison and The Miz For the WWE Tag Team titles And then that sends us into the arena We have a very odd opening package It's like a 1950s style uh, Into some angry music (laughs) Recaps all the top matches for the night Todd Grisham and Jerry the King Lawler Welcome us into the show And they're going to call our opening match Here this evening Which is for the ECW title It is Matt Hardy Taking on Mark Henry, Scott. How did we come upon this uh, continuation of this feud between these two guys?
0: Well, on the 9-9 ECW, Matt cut a promo thanking the fans for their support until Henry interrupted and demanded a title match. And the two men would brawl with Matt clearing Henry from the ring, and he would give Atlas the twist of fate. Later in the night, Matt and Finlay defeated Henry and Mike Knox in a tag match when Matt pinned Knox. On the 916 ECW, Henry would complain to Atlas that Matt never beat him for the title and again demanded a title match. And Matt would defeat Knox while Henry defeated Finley, and it was announced that Henry would get his rematch here uh, at the pay-per-view. On the 9 ECW, Henry cut a promo on the stage saying that Matt couldn't beat him on a one-on-one match and would take the title back. And on the 9-30 show, Matt and Henry had a confrontation to start. And in the main event, Henry teamed with John Morrison and The Miz to defeat Matt, Evan Bourne, and Ricky Ortiz. Oh, they go. Big O in a six-man tag match. And now we're here.
3: All right. Well, Mark Henry and Tony Atlas rumble out looking for that ECW title back around his waist. Very tough first pay-per-view defense for Hardy here. See if it goes better than SummerSlam did. Henry's confident and defiant. He stands in the corner. We get a loud Hardy chants as King talks about his throwdowns with Henry a decade ago. Hardy tries to take control early, but Henry barrels him with power offense, heavy strikes and body blows. Hardy tries to go at the legs, but Henry cuts him down the clothesline. Grisham reminds us that Henry wasn't pinned in the scramble as Hardy t- finally takes the knee out with a hard shoulder. Henry cuts momentum with the clothesline, but he's hobbling. Hardy keeps coming for the knee. This time he cuts him down, gets to work on it. They spill outside where Henry shifts Hardy to the steps. Hardy keeps coming and going at the leg. Pretty good ebb and flow now as Hardy keeps taking cracks at the knee, but Henry just keeps swatting them off. Feels like a real fight. Henry sits uh, sit down splash off the bottom rope, but Hardy stays alive. Henry works a neck vice, gets a bear hug, comes up empty, and he misses another bonsai drop. Hardy mounts his comeback, gets a side effect for two for a good near fall. The crowd is all in on it. Henry shoves Hardy hard to the mat. It's a big splash, but he can't cover right away because of his knee. Hardy slips free of a power slam, hits a twist of fate, and defeats Henry clean to a big pop to retain his title. And a pretty fun opener with good pacing, a nice structure, a lot of attacks and cutoffs, power strikes from Henry, some really good near falls as well. The crowd was really invested in a pretty strong title match. The Reign of Hardy has been off to a good start, Scott. I went two and three quarters.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was pretty uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, Your I just lost my page. Hold on. Uh, Your match time was uh, 8.08. So decent little stretch. Uh, yeah. Solid matchup. I gave it to, uh, where'd my line go? Hold on. Uh, two and a half. I gave it, I thought I figured I gave it two and a half. Uh, yeah, I, again, and I mentioned this on our last show, uh, you know, even though Jeff, it's, it's typical for these two. Jeff Hardy is the, is the, the shiny toy that everybody loves, but Matt Hardy is that guy you can always count on when he's on his game to give you solid in solid out. Uh, you know, Mark Henry, I feel like doesn't really reach his total big time potential until he hits like 2010 ish, but still here. He's he's got that feel. He's strong uh, personality wise. I love the Tony. I said this before. I like the Tony Atlas combo. Uh, I'm glad Matt didn't. They didn't just drop it back after the scramble. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Matt kept it. It makes him look strong. Mike. Uh, solid match, nothing offensive, nothing crazy, but
4: but a good start to the show. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was decent. Um, Tony Atlas as a manager it was, like, amazing. He's so huge. Like, he comes out in, like, this suit and looks like when Mr. Incredible is at his office job. <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, was, I don't know. I mean, I'm one of those, like, I, I don't. I wasn't the biggest like ECW fan in the '90s, but at the same time, like at this point in 2008, when it's just two the wool WWE guys, it like it feels like it doesn't have much of an identity. It just right. feels like another like a, any secondary title. You know, it was it was decent, but with not that much stake. So I I went. Maybe it was the lowest on this, but I went too.
3: Yeah, ECW's in a weird spot. Like, I think they're still, I mean, they're using the name because they built this brand up. But it's definitely become, in ways, it's its not far off from the original ECW. Like, the presentation and style is different. But the idea behind using it for bringing new guys up while also kind of rehabbing other dudes that had nothing else to do. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of in the spirit, right? Because they're using guys like Henry and Hardy but they're also bringing up guys like Miz and Morrison and Kingston are coming punk. You know, they're all coming through there. So it's an interesting usage of it uh, for sure. So, all right, Jr and Taz are here. They asked for votes in tonight's poll. They say, who are you rooting for? Triple H or Jeff Hardy? Eve Torres is then backstage. She brings in both Triple H and Hardy. Hunter's on his phone. He cuts off Hardy to say, the only thing Hardy's going to win tonight is the mobile poll. And even he voted for Jeff Hardy says to worry about him and not texting. Hunter puts over. Puts him over, says he wants to see Hardy put it all together and be all he can be for one night. And he's doing it so when he beats Hardy, he'll beat the best Hardy has. Hardy says he will take pride in taking the title off of Triple H. Head back to the ring for our women's title match as Beth Phoenix takes on Candice Michelle. Scott.
0: All right. Well, on the 9-8 Raw, it was announced that Michelle would get a title shot at no mercy and Phoenix would retain the title over Mickey James for having a stare down with Michelle. The following week on 9-15, Michelle defeated Jillian Hall while Phoenix watched from ringside and Michelle challenged to come uh, in the ring only to hit a drop kick that sent Phoenix to the floor. The following week on 9-22, Phoenix was upset by Kelly Kelly after a miscue from Morella, from Santino Morella. Uh, while Michelle watched from backstage, of course, that little whatever is going on there. And finally, on nine twenty nine, Phoenix and Hall defeated Michelle and Kelly in a tag match where Phoenix got the pin back on Kelly. Kelly. So pretty straightforward as we head to this show and this match. And out come Glamorella, Beth and
3: Santino for this match. Beth looking strong leading the way. We now have Michael Cole and Jerry, the King Waller on the booth as King has hopped back over to the raw table. Candace struts out, looking to get back on top of the division. She's still coming back from that bad injury. Candace catches Beth off guard, being aggressive and bringing the fight to her. Beth eventually settles and uses her power to drive Candace to the corner. Candace punches back, but Beth batters the shoulder. Candace tries to fend Beth off, but Beth grinds to the rehabbed shoulder joint. Candace doesn't give in and eventually crotches Beth on the top and dropkicks her as she slinks down. Santino pulls Candace outside, uh, but Candace dropkicks him. Uh, Beth mows down Candice with a clothesline on the floor, but back inside, she's arguing with Santino. Candice rolls her off for two. Beth counters in a prettier and then or counters in a prettier with a glam slam to finish off Candice. Uh, it was fine. Beth's power offense and instincts are growing. She's able to carry things. You know, Scott, we talked about last month with SmackDown. They didn't have that kind of buoying force, right, to kind of drive the match. But Beth has become that for Raw. Candice is a bit rusty, but good enough in her first Uh, match her her assault and constant comebacks are good as a plucky face beth continues to dominate mike i went two stars on this
4: one Uh, again beth is really putting it together as we go forward here yeah and the glam the glamorella act is a lot of fun um and kind of carried the match i i mean i remember the diva search i didn't realize candace was around this long Mm -hmm. that was kind of a surprise to me and I mean watching like it's it, it, it's not their fault, but like watching a lot of the, the women's matches in this era when you know what's to come with the four horse women and all that, it's like it's kinda like playing Atari when you have a PS five right next to it. <laughs> yes. And um but for what it was and you know, it was decent enough, I'll I'll go one and a half. Uh
0: yeah, I went uh I went two on this. I, I I really complimented Candice Michelle a lot in 2007. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and if you remember those matches, JR, when she was champion, she gave the best, she did the best she could. She was, she was going with the, she was setting herself up. She had a pretty basic move set, but she wasn't making a lot of mistakes. And now she's taking on an even better uh, worker in Beth Phoenix, clearly the best worker on raw and probably top three in the company. Um, And it's, uh, it's, It shows that Beth is trying to elevate the rest of. See, that's the problem with with someone inexperienced like Michelle McCool as Divas Champion on SmackDown. You know, the point of a champ, one of the points of having a champion is to help elevate. And you know, Beth Phoenix is is experienced and talented enough that she can elevate, and she's trying to do that. And I feel like this match does that. Uh, Whereas on SmackDown, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. So. Mm Uh, I think this is a, is a really good match and right now if you're if we're keeping score Raw clearly the better women's uh, division.
3: All right, Kane is backstage. He issues a warning to Rey Mysterio and makes a statement about hiding behind masks. It brings us to the rank for
0: Rey Mysterio taking on Kane Scott. How do we march to this match? Well, as mentioned, if Rey the stipulation is is if Rey Mysterio loses uh, this match, uh, he must unmask, of course, <laughs> not the first time he said to deal with this, uh, <laughs> uh, with this stip, as he, uh, had to deal with it, um, years earlier in, uh, WCW, uh, on the nine, eight raw Mysterio cut a promo on Kane attacking him and said he was no one's victim. And later that night he would team with Evan Bourne to defeat John Morrison and the Miz after the match Kane appeared on the Titan Tron and held up his own mask as he cut a promo on facing Mysterio next week on raw on the nine 15 raw Kane appeared wearing his old mask before taking it off and cutting a promo on Mysterio. And later that night Mysterio defeated Kane by DQ and Kane attacked him until Bourne made the save on nine 22 Kane went to Mike Adamly and demanded a match with Mysterio at the pay-per-view, which Adam agreed to. And later that night he defeated Bourne in a match. And when Mysterio tried to make the save Kane laid him out and called him a coward wearing a mask. And finally, on 929, Kane teamed with Cody Rhodes, Ted DiBiase, and the, as we talked about in the last show, Manu, to defeat Mysterio, born in Kofi Kingston and CM Punk in an eight-man tag. And later that night, Mike Adam Lee declared the pay-per-view match would have the added stip that Mysterio would have to unmask if he lost
3: all right see how it plays out mysterio comes out to a big pop big challenge lying ahead kane is not happy wants to prove a point cole reminds us the months of torture at kane's hands kane marches out with a smirk comes right at ray but ray's able to kick him to the floor kane returns and mows him down with a big boot ray makes kane chase him lands a flurry of kicks sticking the moving, but kane swats him away ray goes for a kill strike with a 619 but kane wrecks him with a brutal clothesline Things spill outside. Ray keeps looking for an angle in, but Kane is too strong. Eventually just flips him into the barricade and into the fans. Back inside, Kane continues to slam Ray hard to the mat, stomps and slugs at him as Ray's screaming in pain. Kane tries some different punishing holds on the neck and back, but Ray keeps fighting his way back into the match. He heats up and catches Kane with a top rope moonsault that knees Kane in the head. He follows a springboard guillotine leg drop for two, but runs right into a sidewalk slam. Ray slips out of a chokeslam, gets a springboard bulldog, and it hurts his knee. Ray comes off the top, but Kane knocks him down. Kane misses a charge, and Ray hits a 619 to the back and knocks him to the floor. Ray leaps off the top, but Kane meets him with a nasty chair shot on the way down and draws a DQ to booze. Uh, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a good big versus little, which always kind of hits well when when they crank on it. Kane kept hitting the big offense. Ray's speed was on point, pinballing around. The finish was okay. Keeps Kane strong. Keeps Ray's mask on. Plays into Kane being a sick fuck, just wanting to hurt him. And it obviously keeps the feud going. Sky went two and three quarters. I thought they over-delivered a bit with their chemistry on this one.
0: Uh they definitely did. Uh and we, we would see that a couple years later as well. Uh, I gave it uh I gave it two and a half. I thought it was a good big versus little. Nothing offensive. Uh I I, I understand. I think that, that WWE, even Vince, who doesn't have much respect for much, um, I don't think even he would ever take Ray's mask off after the bullshit in WCW. Mm -hmm. So anytime there's a mask, an unmasking gimmick with Ray, I think I always feel like Ray's going to win because he's just going to, I just don't think WWF would ever WWE would ever have done that to him. So having said that, I mean, I knew Ray was going to win. It was just a question of the, the, the road to get there. And I enjoyed the match. Uh, Kane at this point, you know, 11 years into his career is just a good hand. Particularly a power hand, whether he's a heel or a face, I think he's I think he's perfectly good, and uh, you know it's a good drama thing. But Mike, I it, the anticipation didn't it never happened for me because I just knew that Ray wasn't going to lose. But having said that, it was a good big versus little.
4: Yeah, also I mean I'm not a fan of a stip match where one guy has a thing at stake but the other doesn't. I, I thought that was kind of weird, you know. So if Kane loses, he just loses and right. Yeah. Kane lost all the time. Um, but I thought that, yeah, in terms of the, the, the work rate and, and just the, the back and forth of it, it was fun. I, I don't love DQ finishes, especially in the more modern era. Um, when you have your big stars wrestling on TV every week, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I, w- I would go, um, two and a half. Um, and, uh, this was the kind of match I would play in the video game, and it was great. Like, here comes the pain because you couldn't do most of your slams and moves on Kane if you were Rey Mysterio. So, right. it was very realistic to this.
3: And the, those video games in that stretch were on point for sure. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, pretty amazing. Definitely.
3: All right, JR and Taz plug the mobile pole again, and then we head backstage. MVP is on the phone; he's complaining about not having a match. He goes over to the SmackDown GM locker room, and Big Show answers the door. MVP wants to talk to Vicky, but Show basically tells him to fuck off, says he's got bigger things to focus on. Vicky calls Show, and he slams the door. And MVP walks off. MVP then heads to the ring. He says, "You don't sit, LeBron, Manny, or MVP." It says uh, Undertaker Tombstone has affected v- uh, Vicky's head, but this time wasn't the first time. It won't be the last because the universe revolves around MVP. Randy Orton's music hits and he saunters out. Introduces MVP introduces himself to Orton and says he's what MVP claims to be. And maybe MVP should ask himself if there's a reason this happens every month. MVP says he doesn't recognize Orton without his sling and his MRI results. And this happens because Vicky's incompetent. It's hard to make the plays when he doesn't get the ball. Orton says, if MVP ever gets the ball, he'd drop it anyway, because he's seen him in action. Like at WrestleMania, when Orton won the main event, and MVP lost, as usual. MVP says he's not a Raw, and there's no repercussions for knocking Orton out. Everyone on Raw would love it if he did it. Out come Cody Rose, Tadibiasi, and Manu. The crowd chants, boring, and Cody kind of plays it off, telling him to stop. He says, Randy's not boring. He says, Randy's the guy who just hung out in his old town, trying to be cool, instead of going to college. He tells MVP to let Orton coast on his reputation, because that's all he has left. Orton tells rose to ask punk if he's just coasting manu says the only reason orton had a chance to kick punk in the head is because they attacked him first and all orton did was pick up the scraps orton says they're trying hard to impress him and maybe if they accomplish half of what he has he'd start taking them seriously orton leaves mvp mocks him for leaving and says maybe he'll return in 2012. debiase says he knows mvp's dad was not a great star so he isn't in their class MVP doesn't like that. It says he makes more money than all three combined. But Dibiase says, hey, my dad's a million-dollar man. I never have to worry about money. He tells MVP to get out of the ring, and they'll see him at the next pay-per-view he gets shot out of. MVP heads out cautiously. He says they'll remember this conversation. As he leaves, Punk's music hits. He comes out with Kofi Kingston. Punk says he has an idea. He says MVP wants on the pay-per-view, and the three guys in the ring all diss him. MVP's game. They charge the ring, but Kofi and Punk stop. MVP goes in alone. and gets beaten down. And eventually, uh, Evie, uh, Punk and Kofi come in and help clean house. So, I don't know, Scott, I, I, that was a good segment in general, but it was, it was too long. The crowd definitely got annoyed. I think they could have condensed this better. And, and, you know, instead of having three different acts play out, they could have just kind of had it all happen at once. I think maybe a little cleaner. Um, but they did further a lot of stuff. Like Orton, as like this teacher role, was mm-hmm. pretty interesting where he's basically like, He's back from injury, but kind of telling everyone why they're not on his level and, um, you know, speaking the truth about it. Right. And we've talked about it recently. Like, what's MVP going to do now? Uh, I think these types of angles are never successful for guys. So I'm a little nervous (laughs) where they head with MVP. When you start getting left off pay-per-views and complaining about it, like usually isn't a good thing. So we'll see where that heads. Punk gets a little revenge, you know, messing with MVP a little bit. um, And we further further. Dibiase and Rhodes and Manu trying to continue to impress Orton, even though they're shit-talking here, it's clear that they're trying to get his attention. So, kind of a lot going on, but again, I think it, it dragged down a little too long. It was basically a Raw uh, segment.
0: Yeah, I think it was just to get them on TV or get them on camera. Um, but otherwise, yeah, this this seemed... Punk just looks... Yeah, it's it's bad right now. That It didn't look good. Uh, it didn't look good for him getting punked no pun intended out mm-hmm. at unforgiven out of his to defend his own title in the scramble and now suddenly he's like hanging with kofi who's you know popular but no more than mid card at this point so uh, it, it, it it just doesn't look good for him orton still looks like a badass like he looks he looks uh still like an alpha dog even though he's hurt um whereas punk still looks like a sadly looks like um you know, like a hanger on or a, a wannabe, and that's that's the disappointing part. Mike is the whole promo still makes, um, Punk look like a chump, and Orton and and I think Orton kind of almost made MVP kind of look bad as well, almost too much. Uh, it was a very imbalanced segment that probably went on a little too long for for the show.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with uh, Justin on this of just like. Uh, especially this is when you were paying for Mm pay-per-views and Mm -hmm. this, you know, like now with the premium live events and all of that, okay, have a promo segment, get a bunch of people on, but you're, you know, this was what, like 30, 40, $50. Right. And this is just filler. Um, I, I didn't mind some of it, but it was funny that like MVPs, like I'm not on the show. And then all these other guys who aren't on the show are also in this segment. Like, none of them are on the show. And and Orton being the big star he is, I guess he was right. He was healing in at, at this point from an injury. Because it's like, why wouldn't he be in a match, you know? Or or Punk or some of these guys. It it felt a little messy. Um, but overall, yeah, you could have cut this in half. Or you could have just, I would have just done a match. Why not have MVP and, you know, Kingston and Punk versus uh, Manu, Rhodes, and DiBiase? Just do that. Yeah, you could
3: have definitely done something to um, make it a match. Even if they did a quick promo into a quick match or more of a brawl. I mean, I I think they're doing a lot of this to, to get Orton on TV before he's cleared. You know, yeah. he's not, hasn't been cleared fully for action, but the last two pay-per-views now he showed up and played a role. So I think that's why they're doing this partially, but yeah, you have Punk, you have Kofi, you have Orton and Rhodes. You could even do a tag title match with those four guys and have Orton, you know, shit talk them before the match or whatever. Maybe MVP complains. Why isn't he out? So you could have done a little bit more and still had a match within it, but.
4: Yeah. Within the same amount of time.
3: Yeah. It definitely felt more like a raw segment for sure. All right, so, JR, Taz, thank Metallica for the theme song. They plug the poll again. We see Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho prepping backstage. Then we head back to the ring for our next match, which is Batista taking on JBL. Scott, how do we get here?
0: Well, uh, because it is Batista, there's obviously something attached to this, and that is he, the winner of this match is the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> On the 9-8 Raw, JBL and Chris Jericho defeated Batista in a handicap match, only for Batista to attack JBL and Lance Cade after the match while Jericho watched from the ramp. The following week on 9-15, uh, both Batista and JBL went to GM Mike Adamley about being the number one contender. And later in the night, Jericho claimed neither man was worthy enough, con- though convinced Lee to have the two men face off at the pay-per-view to determine who is the number one contender. That same night, JBL defeated Tommy Dreamer in a squash and cut a promo that saw Randy Orton, Santino Morella, Beth Phoenix and Batista all come out and in the end Batista would wipe out Morella with a spine buster and then give Phoenix a spine buster on top of Morella, which is pretty funny on the nine 22 raw JBL team with Jericho and Cade to defeat Batista and Shawn Michaels in a handicap match. And finally on nine 29 JBL attacked Batista after his own, after his win over Morella and gave him the clothesline from hell. And later that night, JBL ranted about losing his money in the stock market only for Batista to come out and give him a spear. So there we go.
3: Big match title shot on the line. Both guys have been lingering in the title picture all year. Not a lot of success. JBL rides out first stomps to the ring. Cole runs down his resume. We get a big pop for Batista as he powers out looking for yet another title shot. JBL comes in hot with punches. Batista turns the tide and beats on him with strikes. Batista dodges a clothesline from hell and spears JBL, but he rolls to the floor King is making all sorts of stock market jokes through this. We get a clunky skirmish on the apron. Batista tumbles outside as JBL gets to work. Gets some shots in and a chinlock, but Batista powers right back. Bullies through him with punches and clotheslines. JBL counters the spear with a boot, but Batista shrugs it off. Hits a spine buster and finishes him with the Batista bomb. Complete squash shitty out of nowhere here. Uh, did not expect this at all. JBL had minimal offense. Batista was dominant, just crushing him. I this is great booking. It, it's the way to go for sure. Good on JBL to do it. And a really well done slugfest in a sprint form. Mike, uh, we'll get to the post-match in a minute, but for the match itself, I went two and a quarter and I thought this is the right way to go. Put Batista over strong for the next title shot. JBL can lay down without much, you know, losing much steam and we don't need to plod through a 12 minute match. Like just have Batista wipe them out.
4: Yeah, I agree. This was fun. little sprint. And, uh, this two big power guys, and I mean, this is crazy. This was 2008. This around the time this show happened was when the Guardians of the Galaxy first formed in the comics with the version that Batista would end up playing as Drax. So that's kind of amazing to me.
3: Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of so, funny timing. Mm. Yeah,
4: and um, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about the post match in a sec because uh, that to me is a little. More fun. But yeah, this was this was good for what it was. And yeah, if you're gonna put the guy over, put him over. And I mean, this was at the point in the show, and knowing what some of the matches going forward were just the amount of star power on this show is pretty insane.
0: Uh yes, definitely. Your match time, just uh 518. Actually, looking back a bit, uh the Kane Ray match was 1010. Didn't seem mm-hmm. like that. This match was five eighteen. Uh, I gave it two stars. I mean, it was a fine, it was a fine little Haas match. I mean, um, uh, you know, I mean, it, Batista is the hotter guy. I mean, JBL's star is definitely dulled and he's just there as a body. Uh, you know, and, uh, it, it was good. It was a quick sprint. Batista's just a guy that makes main event matches look good. I mean, he's really earned that over the last three years. And, uh, yeah, he gets a zillion title shots, but there's a reason why because he seems he makes it feel special, so he's earned that right. And I think uh, I'm curious because uh, it does kind of add some intrigue for later in the night because obviously you know Sean and and Batista had some issues earlier in the year, so it does kind of add a little intrigue to the match later in the night because uh, there really there's no. Backstory, as far as I can remember, between Batista and Jericho, but there was definitely, obviously, history between Batista and Sean to the point where you could easily see what goes on later in the night. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a great, it's a great result, a nice quick squash, and uh, Batista's on his way. Yeah, and I agree, Mike. It's it's a sneaky
3: loaded year. Um, all these shows have so much star power and big names. I think it's, <clears throat> when you think of this era, you tend to think, oh, it's headed downhill, it's a downturn, it's not as good as it used to be, but I think I think we're in the final days of it, for sure, um, but the, the shows are absolutely still loaded at this point with names. I, I think by 2010 it fades, but we're still there with, like, tons of big stars. Yeah, when you're squeezing
4: all those guys that you mm-hmm. did in that last segment and then giving these two guys a, a quick match and... Right. And rightfully so, because of these next three matches, it's just like, I was like, wow. And then we had Kane and Mysterio. It's pretty crazy.
3: All right. JBL gets on the mic after the match. He's shell-shocked. He said he expected to win, but he has to be honest to his fans. His heart wasn't in it tonight. After the past week on Wall Street, he's the most blessed man on earth. Thanks to Congress, they're shelling out billions so people like him could keep their money. It was for the good of the country because people like him employ people like the fans. He rambles on more about that and then crime time show up on the screen for backstage they say they decided to bail out jbl's limo and then they jack it fill it with dancing divas and sergeant slaughter (laughs) out in the town um so i mean this was funny i thought jbl was funny like it was a good satire on what was going on at that time in the economy bailing out the billionaires uh but that Mm -hmm. said this, this felt like more time wasting um that could have been that match, Mike. Right? We've been talking about. So it's like, yeah, we had that long segment earlier. We got this. Like, why can't we trim those and have gotten the tag title match, right?
4: Yeah, this felt like, um, like a house show promo, and then the Crime Time stuff. I, I love, I love that Crime Time is just the the more money, more money guys from in living color. That's literally the gimmick. <laughs> But, his, I mean, JBL's reaction was pretty great. And I love that it's all these divas and then just Sergeant Slaughter. Yes. So just pop it, you know, hey, stolen limousine, stolen valor. Right. Uh, <laughs> when I found out he was never actually in the war, it blew my mind. And I, know. I thought I, I was like, I know there's some things in wrestling that are kayfabe and some that aren't. But that I believed in. Um, but this was this. I, I like this more than the last promo segment This was fun And JBL did a great job And I mean It felt timely at the time But I mean mm-hmm. that recession is something We still talk about So right. it's pretty pretty amazing to have it Immortalized in a pro wrestling segment
0: Any thoughts on the promo uh, uh, Yeah I mean it's it was funny uh, Considering the, the moment Um you know, it just makes JBL look like a goof. But again, this is, this is a, you know, this is a, uh, um, uh, a, a skit for Raw. I, I, think we don't have time for. We don't have time for this right now. And as Mike said, I mean, yeah, the roster is loaded. There's a lot of damn good. There's a lot of damn good, uh, workers right now. We don't have time for shitty promos, and and g- gags. We can get to this shit, you know. On Raw. We have no time for this. Uh, just Batista win and move on. And it's don't, I don't see what else we need. You know. Alright, video package for our next match. Which is The Undertaker taking on Big Show. We know
3: that this kind of triggered. At our last pay-per-view, Scott. But what's happened since Unforgiven?
0: Uh, Well, since Unforgiven. uh, Let's see. I'm just pinning my... Screen down here. Oh, here we go. On the 822 SmackDown, Vicky Guerrero said that all her actions over the months was because of Edge. And she was proud to have Taker back. And later that night, La Familia welcomed Taker back only for Taker to say that he was coming for Vicky's soul as he wiped out La Familia. The following week on SmackDown, Taker cut a promo saying he wouldn't forgive Vicky and would drag her to hell as she watched from her office. And La Familia would abandon her as she called off for help only for the lights to go out in her office at the end of the show. On the 9-4 SmackDown, Taker again uh vowed to send uh, Vicky to hell as Vicky came out during a stare down between Vladimir Kozlov and the big show, and she threatened to fine and suspend show if she didn't if he didn't leave, which he did. And she said she wasn't intimidated by Taker as she said he would apologize to her at Unforgiven. We all know what happened at Unforgiven. Uh, on the 912 SmackDown, Show and Vicky cut a promo in the ring as Show said that Taker would have to follow the rules as his partnership with Vicky would earn him a title shot and Vicky her apology from Taker. On the 919, uh, 19 Show replayed the footage from Unforgiven to prove that Taker wouldn't be there. And at the end of the night, Chavo Guerrero would watch the footage only for Taker to appear behind him and choke him out. Uh, on Raw, that following Monday, the 22nd, it was announced that Taker and Show would face off at the pay-per-view. On the 926 Smackdown, Chavo told Vicky, the taker, told him that he would find Vicky. And at the end of the night, Vicky, show and Chavo were in the ring and said that Taker was afraid the lights would go out. And when they came back on, Chavo was gone and Taker would appear on the Titan Tron attacking Chavo, which prompted show to go to the back. And the lights went out again as Taker appeared in the ring when they came on and he would give Vicky the tombstone, which was. It was kind of a cool moment. And on the 10-3 SmackDown, Show put himself in charge and forced Chavo to face Mark Henry and the great Kali in a handicap match. And after the match, Show cut a promo on Taker until the lights went out, with Show going up the aisle and Taker appeared in the ring when the lights came on. So, fairly serendipitous as we get here. All right.
3: Tale as old as time, these two. uh, Back at it. (laughs) Big Show's flip-flops to the feud with Taker. This time over SmackDown control and power plays. Show saunters out solo, still hoping to get back on track. Been scuffling a bit since that hot return. Usual intense. on a entrance as he floats to the ring. Taker brings the heat right away with punches, but Show answers back with a shot to the ribs. Taker punches back, but Show pushes through and batters the ribs some more, shoots him into the barricade. Taker punches back into it, controls for a minute until he runs into a big shoulder block. Show keeps slugging in the ribs, pushing through Taker's comebacks and hitting more heavy shots. Two big hostiles just really trying to punch each other out show comes up empty on a vader bomb and then taker starts to use a speed a bit hits the ropes and into a flying clothesline show blocks old school and hits a choke sand for two taker battles back again ends up hitting a ddt for a close two the crowd's very invested here as we move along taker's unloading but show pulls off the turnbuckle cover and runs taker into it and then knocks him out with two punches to the head and one to the back of the head for a very shocking clean win as the ref calls for the bell taker's woozy slow to get up and leaves as the crowd chants him on. So another shocking finish here, with Sho knocking Taker out. It's the win he needed to get back on track, no doubt. A uh, pretty fun brawling battle. Felt like a, a heavyweight fight. Just filled with big punches and counterpunches into the finish. And this is absolutely the way to rehab show. Just let him pound the shit out of Taker and go over strong. I mean, if you're trying to build him back up, this is it. So we'll see where it goes. But Scott, I win three stars. I thought it was a pretty fun hoss uh, battle. Um,
0: I gave it two and three quarters. Um, it was alright. I I, uh, I don't know. I just wasn't really in the mood for this. Like <laughs> I, I just I don't know. Kind of lost my my vim. Uh, I, I just had this bad feeling that this is just gonna end up being more blah. Um, your match time was uh, ten o four. Um, I don't know. I just it was fine. I just kind of felt like this is just holdover slop um you know edge is hurt he's out so taker is or a big show is just kind of a a, a, a a bookmark and i mean it was okay but i just didn't have the energy for it i feel like it's just a, a few that's just there um i feel like maybe takers in a really weird place right now in 2008 uh he might be the i mean i know the roster's loaded mike but i feel like Taker is not able to take advantage of a loaded roster and he's kind of floating aimlessly on SmackDown with Jeff Hardy and Triple H at the top. Taker's just kind of waddling around with everybody else.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, I, I don't know if this was in uh, Taker's book. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Two twenty-three.
4: Yeah. It was the worst of times. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is one of those, this is one of those feuds that you're just like, will this ever end? Like, how many times has this happened? Um, but the finish was cool. Yeah. That rabbit punch, like, that was awesome. Um and and I liked, you know, yeah, the two big hosses. I mean, going from like Batista and JBL to a slightly longer version of that and this, but with a different you know ending and everything I, I think that's part of why they did the the JBL Batista thing and made it kind of a squash and then had JBL get humiliated because the heels kind of <laughs> dominate the rest of the show and you kind of needed a crowd pleasing moment because this was fun but as like a big Taker fan I'm sure a lot of people in the crowd were and this is an audience that doesn't get a lot of live big events like this mm-hmm. it's probably kind of a bummer <laughs> to watch someone you love so much, you know, the, the slayer of big fat guys get beaten by a big fat guy.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're into it for sure. Um, and it does feel like a big deal at least um, when this happens. Because Taker has been so protected. Uh, I'm not as negative into this feud as you you are, Scott. Like I'm kind of giving the benefit of the doubt. At first, I was kind of like, uh. But I actually think they've delivered. Like The fight at Unforgiven is pretty good. And this, I enjoyed this quite a bit actually. Like it, it caught me off guard and makes me wonder what's to come. So, we haven't really gotten Taker versus Show, like with modern Taker, and In Shape Show. So, you know, yeah, it's a rehash, but it's it's kind of a different take on it, given where they're at respectively
1: mm-hmm.
3: in the ring and physically. So, we'll see. We'll see how it rolls along.
1: But
4: that would have been amazing if they changed his name from Big Show to In Shape Show. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In shape show tonight. Physically healthy show. (laughs) Well, he's a moderately... (laughs) Slightly slightly overweight. Age and size show.
3: (laughs) All right, JR Taz reveal the poll results. Jeff Hardy wins with 72%. And that brings us to a video package for our next match for the WWE Championship. Triple H defending against Jeff Hardy. Scott, tell us how we got to this point.
0: Well... Uh it has been a very interesting uh journey. Uh let's see. On the 912 uh SmackDown. Um, uh, let's see, I'm sure I get to there. Here we go. On the 912 Smackdown, Triple H talked about being the only champion to retain it unforgiven when Jeff came out. And they went back and forth as Triple H said that Jeff always came close to grab at the brass ring, only to fail, and that without Matt, he wouldn't stay on the straight path. While Jeff brought up the Triple H head, what he had for being in certain families. Ooh. At the end of the night, Jeff defeated Shelton Benjamin, the Brian, the Brian Kendrick, and Montel Vontavius Porter in a fatal four-way to earn a title match at No Mercy. After the match, Vladimir Kozlov came out and attacked Hardy before hitting an inverted DDT. On the 919 SmackDown, Jeff talked about Triple H's words last week and said that it was giving him more motivation. And he would defeat Kendrick in a match only for Kozlov to come out and attack him again. At the end of the night, Triple H had defeated MVP in a match, only for Kozlov to come out and attack him as well. On the 9-26 SmackDown, Jeff and Triple H defeated MVP and Kendrick in a tag match as Jeff gave Triple H the title and they shook hands. And later in the night, Kozlov fought the Great Khalido in a contest when Triple H got involved and the two men beat him down as well as Jeff, who tried to make the save. On the 10-3 SmackDown, Jeff teamed with Batista, Rey Mysterio, and Finlay. To defeat JBL, Kane, MVP, and Kendrick in an eight-man tag. And in the main event, Triple H defeated Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy in a battle of champions. After the match, Jeff made the save for Triple H against Jericho, only to give him the twist of fate. But then Kozlov came out and laid both Jeff and Triple H out. There we go. All
1: right. This one's been building
3: for a while. Hardy is back in position to finally cash in after suspension. Big pop as he dances out, feeling more and more like a star. Good reaction for Hunter too as he rolls through completing his full strong year since winning the belt back. A year ago and no mercy. After a handshake, Hardy turns and Hunter attacks and almost snags a quick win. They reset with a chuckle. Hunter works the arm. We ease through some standing holes and feeling out. They transition back and forth as we slowly edge along. Hunter tries to start to power up, but Hardy picks up the pace and cleans him out to the floor. Hardy controls back inside, bridging between getting reckless and staying steady and a step ahead. But he almost walks into a pedigree, blocks it and dumps Hunter to the floor. Hunter turns the tide outside as Hardy whiffs on a somersault plancha, splats out on the floor. He finally took that chance and missed it. Back inside, Hunter starts to batter the back with some snap offense. Good job targeting with heavy stuff. Grabbing some near falls, he goes to an abdominal stretch, dissecting Hardy. Hardy comes back with a clothesline takedown, starts to pepper the champ of drop kicks and quick hits. Hunter bails out. Hardy meets him in a somersault plancha, hits this time. It's a great payoff to earlier. Hardy keeps plowing into Hunter in the ring. Hunter counters a twist of fate with a lariat for two. Hunter takes a rare risk. Hardy counters and gets a gourd buster for a close two. Hunter takes Hardy down hard on his back and hits a spine buster as the crowd is fully into Hardy now. Hunter sets up the pedigree, but Hardy counters into a slingshot. Hunter hits the post. Hardy has to whisper in the wind for a super close number two with the crowd edging hard hardy fires off up the pin and heads up top he misses the swanton hunter lows the pedigree but hardy counters into a twist of fate he goes up top and hits the swanton but as he covers hunter cradles through and pins hardy to win and retain the title to great heat as hardy comes up just short again uh, a great match the pacing was perfect both guys are on point really good back and forth and the final minutes were fantastic the crowd is fully invested hunter finds a way to win but it keeps Hardy at his level as he barely sneaks it out. We didn't just flatten him. Uh, this is really well done. Hardy, uh, Hunter keeps rolling. Hardy obviously will be back. Mike, going four stars. This is a really good match. Even though we don't get Hardy winning,
4: he keeps really pretty much on even pace here. Yeah, this was fun. I I never remember Hardy being this physically big. Mm-hmm. He looked like pretty comparable to Triple H. I don't I don't know if he was on the main event juice at the time or not, but I was he's surprised. definitely
3: bulking up somehow, yeah. One way or the other.
4: Yeah, right? Cause I'm like, this is not like your typical skinny jeans early two thousands Hardy. I mean he's he was filling out the jeans and just buff, but um mm-hmm. I thought this was fun. Like this and this was like one of those, oh, this is a fun matchup. Like I, I remember seeing this when it happened, and I'm like Oh, I don't think I've ever seen those two guys, uh, and they really, you know, pulled off a really fun match. And I think on a lot of other pay-per-views of this era, this itself could have been a main event. I went three and a half stars, but you know, uh, you know, then yeah, we get uh, Vladimir Kozlov afterwards, and uh, you know, take back what I said about star power. <laughs>
0: Uh, this is I gave this four stars uh, This was terrific uh, Your match time, 1702 So, you know, pretty good time It was a lot of fun I mean, it was a fun back and forth Jeff Hardy really focused Like, this is the first time I feel In a time I've watched him That he focused Like, it, it, he wrestled a main event match And not just a upgraded mid-card match Like, he wrestled like this was it for him and I, I think that's fantastic. And, uh, and Triple H just like kind of went with the, went with the flow and he kind of, he worked it well. And this baby face run is better than any of the more annoying ones he ever had in this time. Like the, like when he came back in 02, uh, this fits better. Like this is just, Hey, I'm me. It's kind of like Steve Austin, but not as ornery in the sense that he's not overly, he's just facing heels rather than mm-hmm. being in an over baby face, acting like a baby face per se. But uh, um, uh, you know, the the match just showed how amazing uh, Jeff Hardy can be when he's focused, and it was a fantastic match. Uh, I didn't think Jeff was gonna win. I feel like they were gonna make it something a little more special. Uh, I didn't. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I didn't hate Vladimir Kozlov. Um, you know, they have to create stars. I mean, they used to make fun of the fact that his tights were too tight, but, uh, you know, they look like fucking jacked up underwear, but the fact remained, he, he was a pretty good heel. He was doing decent squashes. Um, and they were trying to build something up, but we'll see what happens from there. But kudos to Jeff Hardy, who wrestled like his life depended on it. And it was a main event match. It was not a amplified mid card match. He wrestled a main event match. mm mm-hmm. And I I give him all the credit in the world to to hang with one of the best and put on a great, great title match.
4: You know what, what really better. stuck out in this, too, was uh, Jr's call at the end. Yeah. Like, when he gets that very, like, screamy, and he doesn't do it a lot, so it means something when he does, and he's like, you know, come on, kid! Like, it made it feel like... A, wrestlemania moment even like it was this big moment and it it added to like the deflation of you know and obviously this feud would continue because it it felt like it ended on a cliffhanger it was really Mm -hmm. good storytelling
3: yeah the i think the tricky part now is going to be for them is like when do you pull the trigger because it's still okay they're building it well he's getting closer and closer and Hunter's been really good over the last year. But at some point, you're going to hit that inflection point of, okay, it's just Triple H burying a guy again, right? So, like, what is that tipping point of when, okay, now is the time to pull the trigger on Hardy before it gets to be, okay, we missed the window, and it's just Triple H again. So we'll be curious to see when that happens as we go forward. All right, Arn Anderson's backstage. It congratulates Hunter. Arn says he thought Hardy had him. Hunter says it's only a matter of time. This is where Kozlov comes in. He stares at Hunter, gives him a warning in Russian, and then congratulates him, and they just keep staring at each other until Kozlov leaves. So it looks like maybe we're setting up Kozlov for Hunter here for sure. We get a video package for our main event, and that is Chris Jericho defending the uh, World Heavyweight title against Shawn Michaels in a ladder match. Scott, tell us how we got to this point.
0: Oh. Oh, my. At this point, we should all know. How we got to this point, because it has been very well documented. On the 9/8 RAW, uh, the oh, screen just flipped. Hold on. On the 9/8 RAW, Jericho showed off the scars from the previous night, but claimed that he was the ultimate victory as he was now world champion. And Michaels beat him in a non-sanctioned match, which doesn't count, so nobody cares. Later in the night, Jericho teamed with JBL to defeat Batista in a handicap match. On the 9/15 RAW, Jericho defeated CM Punk in a cage match to retain the title. At the, at the end of the night, it was revealed that Michaels would get the title shot at No Mercy, and it would be a ladder match. On the 922 Raw, Jericho cut a promo on top of a ladder and vowed to remain champion uh, until Randy Orton interrupted and reminded him that he took out Punk at Unforgiven, which led to Jericho becoming champion. At the end of the night, Jericho teamed with Cade and JBL to defeat Michaels and Batista in a handicap match. And finally, on the 929 Raw, uh, Michaels talked about facing Jericho and Cade later that night. In a tag match, and Cade would cut a promo on pinning Michaels last week. And in the main event, Michaels teamed with Triple H to defeat Jericho and Cade by DQ. After the match, Jericho would bring out a ladder only for Triple H to hit Cade with a sledgehammer. And Michaels give him sweet chim music into a pedigree from Triple H. And Michaels would come off the ladder with an elbow onto Cade as Jericho watched from the stage. And incidentally, Mr. Meltzer would name this match Match of the Year.
1: Hmm. So...
3: All right, let's we'll see if we agree. Uh, here we go. Another chapter in this epic feud. Been filled with classic matches and moments. Jericho climbed from lost in the woods to world champion as it went. Jericho's stoic and focused. He comes out. Michaels matches his intensity. A shot at revenge and the belt. In the match, you both have really excelled at in the past. We start fast with a flurry that ends with Michaels ramming his shoulder into the post after missing a charge. Jericho pours it on from there, hammering away. Hits a springboard shoulder block to take things outside. Michaels springs off the ladder outside and hammers away. They fight over the ladder. Michaels ends up seesawing it into Jericho to slow him down. Jericho accidentally springs Michaels into the ladder, and he quickly scales, but Jericho tips him off hard into the ropes. Jericho uses the ladder and starts to slowly pummel Michaels while recovering, focusing on the ribs and back. Jericho misses a charge. He slams hard into the ladder. Now his knee is messed up. Sean gets to work on it, slamming the steel, but Jericho finds a way to grab control. He bounces off the ladder off the ladder, off, <laughs> bounces the, ladder off the post and rebounds into Sean's face in a sick spot. Jericho batters Sean's head with ladders, some really nasty stuff, and it's slow to take advantage due to his bad knee. Sean reverses a whip and shoots Jericho to the ladder to the floor. Sean press slams the ladder down on top of him, another great spot. Sean sets up Jericho on the table. He teases a ladder moonsault, but Jericho blocks, and they end up fighting on the ladder. Sean body presses him down through the table. A lot of setups and counters with the ladder from there as both guys are battered. Jericho ends up on a folded ladder against the corner, and Sean wins the battle and shoves him back to the mat. Then it's a big elbow onto the edge of the ladder to drive it through Jericho. Jericho blocks Sweet Chin Music with the ladder and eventually pins Sean under it. But climbs, but Sean powers up and tips the ladder over. Jericho goes all the way to the floor. and is in crazy pain with his knee. It's fantastic selling. Sean gets close to the title, but Jericho tips the ladder again, takes another sick bump. They battle the ladder, but Jericho gets tripped and he gets stuck in it. As Sean gets close, out comes Lance Cade. He pulls Sean down, but eats sweet and music. Jericho frees himself and climbs, but Sean meets him at the top. They battle as the crowd goes nuts. They both yank on one of the belt with a tug of war. The now-bloody Jericho dangles from it, but he pulls himself up and headbutts Sean and wins the match as Sean lets go of the belt and Jericho hangs on to it. And a great finish. This was a war. Uh, insane bumps, vicious offense, not just a spot fest. They used the latter as a weapon and completely destroyed each other. It was a battle worthy of this feud, and the drama uh, paid off. It was a sharp finish too, as Both guys were dead even until the bitter end. Just another classic. This feud has delivered. It's an all-timer. I believe it's the best match we've watched to this point, for sure, Scott, for this year. So I agree. I went four and three-quarters of a star.
0: Uh, I went uh, four and three quarters as well, just falling short of five for me. Uh, your match time, your match time was, uh, did they hit 30 minutes? Let me see. I don't think they quite, oh no, 2220. So it was actually yeah. shorter than the match in Unforgiven, Which is nice. That's fine. We didn't need, Yes. you know, we didn't need to drag out the drama, just bang it through. Right. Um. This match is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I argue it, it and after watching it, I realized, you know what? The match—it it makes me realize—the match at Unforgiven is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Compared uh, because I think it's just as even with this. This match is is uh, is is amazing.
3: I have this and, better, but yes, they're both great.
0: Yeah, I, I, I to me they're almost equal, and I I don't think there's any problem with Dave making this the match of the year because even oh and let me tell you something. Oh five to end of oh nine, uh, TNA was pretty good considering who's there. And for Dave to make this match of the year speaks volumes because uh, you had a ton of mm-hmm. of amazing workers. And I mean, you got Kurt, AJ, and Samoa Joe alone mm-hmm. in TNA at this time and this match still because you got two guys who just get it. And we've talked about that. And this is not a spot fest. These guys know not to make a spot fest. This is them. You know, the latter is the key to open the door to the world title. And it's a weapon. But it's not like – but, you know, they're not those kind of guys that kind of fuck around for five minutes and then big spot, fuck around for five. That's what I always used to uh, get on Jeff Hardy's case about. He didn't know how to put the spots together. He just kind of fucked around and then big spot and then fucked around and then big spot. We're talking about two guys who don't do that and probably haven't done it in 15 years. Um, Sean's probably never done it in 22 years. Um, it just – it was just violence. Like, Sean – the reason I love watching Sean in title matches at this time was to him the title was secondary. He wasn't winning it for himself. He knew his resume was well-documented. It was about punishment and revenge for the other guy. And if taking away the world title would make him miserable, would would hurt Jericho, so be it. That's the difference. Sean wasn't doing it for himself. This isn't the 1997, 1996 Sean. This is the Sean that the belt means nothing to him in the in, in the grand scheme of things. It's about hurting Jericho. All about hurting Jericho. And it goes back to the punch. To Rebecca at SummerSlam, and that is the lynch to making taking this to the next level. That's why, Mike, I love this match to death, and I love watching these two guys wrestle. Number one, because this is literally the last match of the ruthless aggression era. This is it. Um, so they go out in a w- with a bang in arguably the best match of this half of
4: the decade. Yeah, I'm gonna go the full five on this one, mm, and. Okay. A part of that is because it feels rare that you get a feud this good with the blow off that actually feels final in
1: mm-hmm. this way.
4: Like my favorite feud of the early 90s is Savage and Roberts and you know there's there's definitely a thing that that has in common with this. You know there is the like oh you hit the white like you dastardly it, it just right. makes the person so much more evil. But that never got the blow off match that this got and the build of it all. I mean, yeah, I feel like the quarter of a star off is just Lance Cade. (laughs) Like it does date this as very specific to 2008. But at the same time, like I was I was blown away by this. I wish that I don't think they do it right on the network. They should just have these feuds in their yeah. entirety from beginning to end in one package.
3: Yeah, it's something that I don't know why they never, especially before even before Peacock when they were really trying to do different like stuff, right? Um, that could have been something really cool that they never quite did. Although I don't know, Scott. At one point they did like it was like rivalries or whatever where they would they yeah kind of do it, but right, mm-hmm. you should be just have a playlist a feud that just has all the matches and big moments.
4: Yeah. All the promos and all the matches. Cause I mean, these are two of the best ever being their best ever against each other. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Michael's, if he had just ended in 98, you'd still be like, Oh, that guy's great. But the second run, and this right. is even before, you know, WrestleMania 25, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing. I, I, I watched this and I like stood up at the end and I was alone staring at a computer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. It delivered. <clears throat> it completely held up for sure. I mean, it has a great reputation and yeah, I would agree. I think, I think it's the end. This feud is the, probably the last great feud. Uh, I don't want to say in history, but it's for a while. And I, I don't, I don't think the new era really begins until WrestleMania 26, which is when Sean's done, when Batista's done. You know, yeah. you really start to feel the transition, but I do think from this point till then is like kind of like a bridge stretch. Like we've had these before, right? Um I think it's another one of those, like a bridge period uh where it feels like this is kind of the transition point into I think into early 09 you still get some non-PG stuff. I think the PG era doesn't really begin till 10. Um but this is, like, the last great, just intense personal feud we get for
4: a while. So,
1: yeah.
3: All right, let's get to our awards. Uh, MVP, I mean, I, I can't choose, like, between Jericho and Michaels. I mean, it's, to me, it's both of them. <laughs> and this one, I, I don't know how you go otherwise.
0: No, nah, there's no doubt.
4: Yeah. I mean, I I would give the nod... If I had to pick one between them, I I would go Michaels as just, and I usually don't like when the the champion comes out first. Right. But Michaels coming out second made this feel so important, and yeah, it was just it was just beautiful. Yeah. So I go Michaels MVP.
3: All right, LVP. I'm going MVP. <laughs> um, I thought they yeah. made him like a goof and a bum. Um. I don't know. He's already getting left our shows. Like, are we done with him? Like, is the push has been so good. Uh, it just felt like they could have used him better. Then Kofi and punk kind of make him look
0: stupid too. I don't know. I just, I just thought he looked kind of soft on the night. I I agree hundred percent. I said it to you last on the last show too. I feel like he's getting punked out. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. Um, after having such a great run and, and as they try to turn him face, uh, As they try to turn him face, um, it seems like he's getting, like, lost in the shuffle. It's kind
4: of sad. Yeah, I mean, I agree. When you said it, JT, of, like, when your gimmick is, I'm not on the show, and then you prove why uh, you are the LVP.
2: Right. Yep,
3: exactly. All right, Mm -hmm. best match. I'm assuming we all agree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jericho. Okay. Uh, worst yeah. match I had the women's uh, Beth and Candice.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, but not, but not bad though. Not as bad as the one the last month, the last show. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah,
4: that's fair. Mm-hmm.
3: All right. Best moment, I with Jericho's celebration at the end. Bloody, barely able to stand with the title, just on
4: yep. top of the world right now. I agree. I went, I went Michael's entrance. It, it felt epic. Like it just, the way that Jericho was smug and the way the crowd exploded for Michael's and seeing someone be that over in a, in an era where I was like, I don't know who was that over, but it was just like, Oh shit's going down. Right. The, even. And that song can be so silly but it felt like a battle cry. Sexy boy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Surprise of the night. I want a big show knocking out Taker Clean. I did not see that
0: coming at all. Coming no, again, I like, didn't either. As bad as I was not a fan of the movie, I didn't expect it either.
4: I'd go... I would go uh, Hardy Triple H just being as good as it was. I mean, I figured it would be good. I didn't think it would be that good. That was kind of a surprise that those guys, you know, they should have been second to last on this show, but they still wrestled like they were the main event.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yep.
3: All right, final grade. Uh, God, we continue to crank along. And I'm going to be honest, guys. This is my highest rated show of the year so far, and a year that's been filled with great stuff. My previous high was Rumble 08. I had it at 8. I have this at an eight and a half. We get the match of the year. We got Hardy and Triple H. I liked Big Show and Taker a lot. Yeah, match grade wise, if you look at it, it's like some middling stuff. But man, that back end really, really pops. Um, if it wasn't for the kind of that time killing stuff in the middle, this might have been even higher. But I think any show that has a four and three quarter all timer and a four star match and a three star match like and it's a tight show that doesn't drag out. It's it had a hot crowd, nothing below two, which was the women and everything else was fine. Like, so, yeah, this, this really did it for me. I, I
0: love this. I thought the show was awesome. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I almost, uh, I, I almost gave it, I was almost going to give it a nine, but, uh, I figured that might've been a scoosh high. Uh, so I'm going to, do we give quarters for shows? No. I don't remember. No, we no, never have. Uh, we if you want again. Yeah, I didn't think so either. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be even with you. I'll say eight and a half as well. I mean, this show was really fun to watch. It flowed. Portland crowd was hot, which is, you know, we, we haven't seen a Portland crowd in almost four years, over four years. Um, they were pretty hot. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun show. The main event on both sides is good. And yeah, I agree with you, Mike, a ton of talent. But at the same time, uh, I don't know, the taker stuff still just is frustrating for
4: me. But anyway, great show top to bottom. I would go. I would go eight only because that first hour you really could have just cut. I mean, I, it, some of it was decent, but in terms of like once you get into those last three main events, it's like pretty amazing. Like if, if that was a if that was a a Slam, even if that was like certain years of WrestleMania, that like mm-hmm. you had those three matches on it, like that's a pretty damn good Mania. <laughs> so. I would, yeah. I mean, this was really fun. I think the last one I did was one of the lowest rated ones you guys ever did. It, it had a bill, uh, a bully music match that was like 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes, um, mm. and I think you gave, like, threes. So, thank you. Because <laughs> what I saw... And I was like, "Oh, you dude, no mercy." And I was like, "Oh shit, that's actually a good one." <laughs> was, yeah, yeah, it,
3: it, you hit. You got a good one. Hit the jackpot. Yeah,
4: and I mean, a uh, real gold mine with uh, with that with that final match.
3: Hmm. All right, that'll do it. We'll be back in two weeks' time with Cyber Sunday 2008. Should be a fun hmm. one to check out. Um, mm-hmm. Be sure to again check out everything we have to offer across our
4: podcast networks. Mike, anything you want to plug quick before we go? Uh, yeah I, uh, I I do a show called uh, Wrestle Roast where we roast different wrestlers and um, it's just fun silly and uh, it's um, on all things comedy and uh, yeah definitely worth checking it out we just roasted The Undertaker
3: alright very good check it out Mike appreciate you joining us uh, for another trip down memory lane everyone take yes. care and have a great Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll talk to you soon you okay.
2: Sleep on a hizzle. O's like brothers to play Santa Claus. They try to get off in them drawers, but not me. See, I ain't trying to kiss you, though. You can keep it to yourself and the mistletoe. Ripped down for the holiday season. Do it like this for a reason. Check it. See, Christmas is supposed to be pleasant. But I'm tired of cheap hoes trying to get present. my brother, baby, talk a small amount. Talk about it's the thought, not the gift that counts. Whatever. Whatever. Uh-huh. Save it for your man, baby, though.